What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. with episode number 15 of the podcast. Today I have on with me two special guests of the Bubba and the Batflip fame, Bubba and Toby, two phenomenal fantasy baseball analysts. Guys are pumping out podcasts and content on the web and really phenomenal fantasy baseball players and two guys that I've looked up to since I started my journey down the road to creating content via podcasting and writing articles and to me they set they're part of a group that sets the standard for how to display fantasy content and talk about it and help others get better as players and just have a way of describing information and trends um so just to further your fantasy baseball knowledge and to increase your fantasy baseball game and be better at it so I'm real excited that I got a chance to sit down and talk to them two really awesome dudes and yeah so that's gonna be the episode and we are right now in the league championship series and and real baseball and um we're heading toward the world series it's awesome and terrible at the same time because baseball's gone after that but it's not gone in the world of fantasy baseball will be prepping for next year's season. Um, actually, a lot of people are in that mode right now, and it will just carry over more once the World Series is over. So, without further ado, I bring you guys Bubba in the backflip talking with the pull hitter. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the next episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. I have two special guests on tonight. Um, two guys that I've looked up to in the podcast and fantasy baseball advice land for the last year. Um, Bubba and the Batflip. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining me and uh, taking the time out tonight to talk some baseball with me, you know? No, no problem at all. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to be here um, with the, uh, the DC champion. Yep. Yes. Any, anytime, a, anytime a champion wants to invite us on their show, it's hard to say no. So we're there for that. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you guys taking the time out to answer all my questions. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really cool. You guys are really accessible. You know, you put out great stuff. People admire that. And, um, you know, I admire that. It's really, it's really been something I aspire to, you know, and look up to. So you guys set a standard, you know, and I appreciate that. No problem at all. Thanks so, a lot. Yeah. Thanks for the kind words. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Have man. hundred percent. So, uh, you guys watching these playoffs, what do you think? The uh, Dodgers look in trouble, huh? Oh, it's, it's a shame. It's a crying shame. It really is. Uh, you, you just put that one on a tee for me because apparently I've made a lot of people angry recently. But I'm a Giants fan, diehard Giants fan. So it's always the Giants and whoever's playing the Dodgers. Those are the teams I root for. And so right now I'm a gigantic Braves fan. And 2-0 uh, series lead, it, it really doesn't hurt my feelings at all right now. 
<laughs> so you're so you're straight up like I hate all the other teams around me. No, it, no, I'm a, I'm a Giants fan. With the Giants Dodgers rivalry is like through and through. Dude. I grew up, I grew up when it was like a real rivalry. Now it's kind of like hit and miss rivalry. Right. So it's just been the thing growing up. It's you're a Giants fan, and then whoever that day is facing the Dodgers. And right now, it's the Braves. So I'm all <laughs> aboard that train. <laughs> totally, so, Bubba lives for lives for nights like these right here. <laughs> yeah. um, I, 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 I took it easy. I had a lot of things I wanted to hit send on the uh, old Twitter machine sure. today, and I just kind of took it easy and watched it unfold. <laughs> for sure. Um, and I don't think anybody's disappointed watching these Astros just no. kind of throw it away right now. They're in the midst of blowing a bases loaded with one out, you know, as they, as they move forward. But yeah, I couldn't have foreseen that actually. I mean, if I would have been like, if I was a betting man, I would have bet on a Dodgers sweep. If I'm oh, honest with you, I just well, thought they lined up, you know, it's like the Dodgers have great hitting, great patience. Like you saw, I saw Ian Anderson and I was just like, dude's going to walk a ton of guys. And he did but they weren't able to, to really get to him until later on in the game. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally surprised by it, but I also, I love it. I mean, I'm not a big, I grew up in, in uh, Northern California, so I was never a big Dodgers fan. Um, so I'm, I'm totally comfortable with this is, and I think it's wonderful to have guys like Acuna and Albies and you know, those guys on the big stage. I think they're just, they play, they play, they play the game that I love to see the way it's played. And I also love the Rays too. Just, you know, yeah. what, what they do as an organization is phenomenal. And I, you know, it's tough because it's like, you want to see the players get paid and they obviously manipulate a system, but also as somebody who appreciates analytics, I mean, trying to squeeze all they can out of, you know, every player that they have and the players who are there seem to really appreciate the organization as well. Um, And also Yancey Eaton likes them. So right there. Yeah. (laughs) Yancey. Yeah. I mean, they buy in the guys buy in, you know, and that's, you know, crucial in the Razor just, I'm the same way. I just, you know, I love it. It's just, it's, you know, I know a lot of people are talking, they're a little older and, you know, they, they don't understand the new baseball and it's, mm-hmm. uh, they think there's less strategy involved. And I'm like, actually, there's way more strategy involved than, uh, you know, it's, um, that's why I tweeted out the one time, like, I wish like we can all like broadcast like the game because it's just sometimes yeah. it's painful to listen to, you know, it just yeah. got to be a perfect merge of like old school and new school, you know, but some things are just, they just. Well, know, like if, if some if someone needs an example of how analytic the Rays are, if you watched Jose or Kitty this year, good young pitcher, massive reverse splits, righties were taken into town, lefty struggled. You looked at that lineup today. He had Yandy Diaz playing first base instead of Choi. He had like all these right-handed bats in that lineup because he pays attention to that stuff where, you know, you go to some old school guys where it's going to be, nope, left, right, left, right. We're going to do our thing. Here we are. And look what happens. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. Baba, Baba showing the DFS player that he is right there. He's looking up those splits. You know, oh, you think I'd go with the lefties in my DFS lineup, but I'm going with the Not righties. so fast, my friends. Same thing with Yarborough, actually, too. I mean, it's a, a smaller difference, but Yarborough – because his changeup is his best pitch, um, does a lot better against righties. Well, not a lot better, but a little bit better. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, just uh, it's just been a great playoffs. It's been fun watching, you know, the Marlins squeak in and make some noise, and you know, just seeing different guys get a chance to uh, be in the limelight. And um, it's uh, I'm surprised by you know the. Anderson. I mean, I think Ian Anderson has been the biggest surprise on the Braves. And, uh, but they're, you know, they're stacked. The pedigree's there, you know, just we question the starters, the bullpen I love. Um, so it's a tough team, you know, the Dodgers are going to have it pretty tough to come back. And, 
the Astros, yeah, you know, the Astros are the Astros, you know, they cheated. I always, you know, I'm, I'm big, like, about the human element. I always think about, like, what these guys are thinking about, like, even through the pandemic, you know, you're thinking about what these guys are actually trying to do to get on the field. And, you know, um, people say, oh, you know, they, they play a game and they get a lot of money, but they invested their whole life in making themselves this. So I won't ever take that away from them. I don't care how much money they get paid, but, you know, they, it, it was just something, it was something to like watch the whole year. These guys just like, you know, rising above all that. And, uh, you know, it, it's really been, it's really been tough, you know, obviously on all of us, but it's cool. It's cool to see them really, um, step up and uh you know overcome a whole bunch of things so i wanted to uh actually ask you guys how you got into baseball was it like something you guys did right from the start was it in the family did you play you know little league all that fun stuff i like to find out like what how people got involved in the sport well for me i played basically t-ball on uh one of my first pictures i remember seeing and my parents have around the house are at least one of them does. Uh, when I was a kid, it was me at Candlestick Park watching a Giants game. It, like my little hat is way too big for me and everything. So, <laughs> like I, I've been going to games forever. I used to be the guy, the kid that was mad when we left early because it was a blowout. Like I used to throw temper tantrums because of that. I'm like, no, we're here to watch a baseball game. Um, I played for a long time, all the way to like sophomore year of high school. Then I realized, you know, I could probably keep playing, maybe try junior college, but let's go get a job, go to college, and like get things together. So that's kind of where that one went, but uh, I've always loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I still play softball to this day. So I, I try to do as much as I can baseball wise. And obviously I like to talk about it quite a bit. So uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the passion I have. <laughs> Cheers to that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, similar story for me. Uh, the fir- the first actually like infant photo of me is me holding a little baseball, um, which nice. actually was the peak of my talent on the actual baseball <laughs> field. It was all downhill from there. Like I was really good really good at like four weeks old, but um, no, it was, it ran in my family. I played T-ball. I, uh, I actually stopped playing baseball pretty early on. Like I played, I think one or two years of Babe Ruth just cause I wasn't that good. I was a tiny, tiny guy. Like I was like four foot 10 in, 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 in ninth grade. I believe they call us late bloomers. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I was the guy like when he hit the ball in the air to the outfield was like, what just happened? Um, so, but really enjoyed it. My dad was actually the high school baseball coach, um, at the high school and, and little known fact, or maybe very well known fact, uh, me and Bubba went to rival high school yes. um, oh, wow. in, in the same county, it. Yolo <laughs> County. He yep. went to Woodland. I went to Davis. Woodland has much higher pedigree of player, Dustin yeah. Pedroia. I played ball with Dustin for quite a while. He played ball with Dustin. And and there's another first round draft pick. uh, Tony Torcado. Tony Torcado of the Giants, um, who who never ended up um, making it. He had a great career in Italy. (laughs) <laughs> oh, did he? Yeah. Hey, dude, well, that's he, not... he, he, he played there for like seven, eight years over there. Yeah. That's not a bad place to end up. No, right? I, I wouldn't I mean, mind getting paid a few thousand dollars and living and touring Italy. That sounds pretty cool to me. Pretty for good. sure, yeah. yeah. Po- posso parlare un po' d'italiano? Oh, my goodness. He's multifaceted. <laughs> uh, no, that's about it. I studied abroad in, in, uh, in Italy. But, yeah, so I played a lot. My dad, my dad was a baseball coach. My little brother is actually now the baseball coach of my old high school. Um, and he runs a, a baseball nonprofit. So just kind of is, is a part of kind of who I was growing up and, and has, has always been a part of my life in some way. And actually fantasy baseball has helped me like re-engage where I, where I kind of shifted my focus and wasn't as interested in baseball for a little while. Ever since I got back into fantasy baseball, um, it's, been, it's been really awesome. 
That's cool. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it, it's good when you get to re reconnect, you know. I always think like, man, like, I wish I didn't waste my time and just like got involved with, you know, analytics 20 years ago, you know, and, yeah. you know, like just been, okay, I can't play anymore, but I could still stay in the sport. And that's what I'm telling my, my nephew now, who's really into baseball, you know, like keep, I think, you know, I tell him about the driveline stuff and just like, just get him into like, you know, really understanding. And I think, you know, get into this stuff because this is, this is the next wave of like opportunity in baseball, you know? So, but uh, yeah, I mean, baseball is just, uh, it's the best, you know, I, I remember since, you know, since birth, always being involved. I have three older brothers and uh, it was always watching them play or them coaching me, you know, um, my, and my dad before he passed, like everyone just was involved with baseball and uh, it's the best. I learned so much about life from just playing baseball. And I agree though, the fantasy brought me like, you know, and keeps me, keeps me in it. And uh, keeps me loving, keeps me finding like different ways to love about it too. You know, there's, there's so much stuff to learn. Um, yeah. So I grew up playing Stratomatic a lot too. I don't know if you guys played that at all, but me and my brothers were heavily involved with that. My dad bought it for us and we, you know, we were just, every time we couldn't go outside, we would draft teams, make leagues. You know, we kept stats by hand crazy because my brother you know my oldest brother joe keeps everything in his whole life and we have stats upon stats like of leagues that we played after drafting teams and i just remember you know the first time just really organizing a lineup um looking at righty and lefties you know split when i was like 10 11 years old and not really fully understanding it but you know, like knowing you know the basics about it and it's funny because I I bought um I found some old packs during a during a, a shutdown and I was looking at it and it had you know on base percentage on like the 1986 card and I don't remember looking at that as like a way to set my lineup you know like I just that remember looking at home runs and the speed rating and <laughs> and you know and like but now I was like wow they had that you know and slugging they had that and slugging and um it was pretty cool I ordered the new packs. This year, it was the first time like I had a new pack of uh, of that game since like you know probably 25 years ago, and it was mm-hmm. cool. I'm uh, I'm planning to do the the World Series, you know. Um, I usually just play against myself, you know. It's just like a cool little, you know. I get in my zone, you know, play a little 30, 40 minute game, make my own moves. It's fun. But That's uh, awesome. did you guys get involved with anything like that, or like a sport uh, game or board game like that involved ba- baseball? I didn't play Stratomatic. Like I, I've, I really never even heard about it until the last few years. I'll be honest, uh, and it sounds awesome. Like I talked talk to Jeff Erickson about it and some other guys, and it sounds like I'm like I was really close. This pandemic would have, like lasted, we would not have got baseball. I was really ready to start playing like OTP and Stratomatic. I was yeah. I was gonna go because I needed something. I need I couldn't go all summer with nothing. Like that's how sad it is. Like people think I'm joking, but no, I needed something. Like ask Toby. There were many weeks where it's like, okay, we still be doing a podcast. I'm like, yes, we are, Toby. We are doing a podcast. We're talking about baseball. <laughs> this is what we're doing. But um, so I was really close to doing it. But for me, I used to play video games all the time, even like the old school Sega, mm-hmm. and they didn't have the old like uh, ways you can save like stats like nowadays. So I would legit like keep stats 
stats on like a rolling graph of my team. Like the old days, the, speak of the Braves, Ryan Klesko was like a stud on that game right. and stuff yeah, like nine, that. Nine power yes. World Series baseball, yes, baby. That's what it is. I had to sit there and play that for hours and like make leagues and like keep going and all that kind of stuff. And then like maybe junior high or so, I forget the name of the game, but you like got packs of baseball cards and they had different ratings on them. You, you made your roster like fancy and you had dice and you went to like the card shop and you played the game. It was like Magic the Gathering for baseball. Yes. And okay. that thing's pretty – I forget the name of the game, but that was a blast. Like my parents literally dropped me off there. I played for hours. And you, know, you trade cards. Like Pedro Martinez was one of the best cards in the game at the time. And you right. could like make trades. And like it was Pedro and Barry. Those are the two guys you wanted. And then you just build your roster. It, it was almost just like playing now where you can only have a certain salary on your team – and then you play the game. It was, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, my my dad used to play one of his friends at Stratomatic Baseball, but I never really like I never really got into that uh, that game. But I did have this like kind of really basic game, and it was just um, you would draft baseball cards, right? So you'd have your favorite players, and then you draft them, and then there was just like this small little field with a place for each one of the cards at home plate, at first, at second, and at third. And there was just a two-sided um, little like fold-out thing. And one side was more than 20 home runs. And one side was under 20 home runs. <laughs> and then it had the batting average columns. And it was just, you just rolled two dice. So there was literally a, like 11 options, right? Like you got a two through 12. <laughs> and, um, and we would play, yeah. And the funnest thing was the draft. It's kind of like fantasy baseball. Like you draft your teams, you'd be like, oh, my team's so stacked, da, da, da. and then you play a little bit. And we used to do the same thing. We'd go on camping trips, and we would, we, would, we would keep track of the stats. You know, we'd have, like, our little ledge where we'd be, like, at-bats, hits, you know, home runs, like, keep track of all of it. Right. Um, and it was just a ton of fun, you know, and I think that kind of set the foundation for uh, getting interested in fantasy baseball later. And then World Series Baseball. Oh, yeah. Sega, man. I was so yeah. into that. And they had the – they were one of the first games, I think, to at least in baseball that had to, like a draft your own team. Yep. So you could redraft all the whole team, right? And then you knew all the dudes who had nines it randomly in different categories. You had like Jim Tome, who was like, he's my first baseman because yes. guess what? He's got a nine power against righties, you know? And it was a similar thing, like where with the with the splits. And um, and so that was really cool. And then you knew the shortstops that had the nine arms and you knew the shortstops that had the zero arms, right. you know, so that defensively. And I used to love to build teams that didn't have any power. that just had all like batting average guys. And I'd never hit with the power functionality because, you know, you just hit so many home runs with like every time, like you swung and hit the ball with Barry Bonds, it was a home run, you know? So right, right. I played like a little bit of small ball there. So it was a lot of fun. And I really do think it, it laid the groundwork for, um, you know, just my interest in fantasy baseball and, and, and just keeping you engaged. And it's, it's things like that, that I think, um, you know, it's just, you learn about the game in these strange ways. Right. Right. I remember the first electronic like baseball game, like my brother's having television and then, you know, and television, uh, you know, the, the Atari had all this, you know, everything when we were, um, growing up and, but I remember my first favorite game was Earl Weaver baseball on the PC. Um, and it was fucking awesome. Like I had all the stadiums, um, they had like old rosters of old teams. Like I just remember always hitting home runs with Eddie Matthews and like, he became like my favorite player ever just because of Earl Weaver baseball. <laughs> awesome. But I remember that. And then for Nintendo, 
for me it was baseball stars like that was the best game like I you know you had the chance to put in the cheat code and have a stacked team and then or you can build it from the ground up and you know I used to love doing that like my whole team would be like my friends and my family like everyone would be a player and you know we just play it, it was it was great but I just remember you know when you get money after a win you have to disperse the skills and buy more skills and mm-hmm. just stuff like that it's pretty cool like you know, I, I wish I could, uh, I wish I had like tape of like myself playing yeah. that game, just seeing like, what would, what were my tendencies when I was, you know, eight years old <laughs> versus now. <laughs> totally. yeah. It was, it was crazy. Um, we, uh, me and my buddies, we go every year on this baseball trip where we go visit different stadiums and we went nice. to, uh, to Coors and we were there and we were just talking about like all these old video games we used to play, you know, like Sega, Nintendo, Super NES, whatever. And we went to this bar randomly afterwards, which is just, which is now closed down. I can't even remember the name of it in Denver, but they had all these, the old systems and projection screens on the tables. So we all went to the game and we go in there and we're just drinking and they had like NHL and they had all these games. And like, it was just like one of the, one of the funnest times. Those games were just, you know, even though the graphics, now you look at them, you're like, what, what, (laughs) how did I even know what was going on? Like, Right. Um, like standard definition televisions. You're like, I watched hockey for years on standard def TVs. Like, I don't even know where the puck is. Right. You still so, can't even see it now. Right. I yeah. Know, right. You're 100% right. Oh, man. That's, <laughs> that's so funny, man. Oh, boy. Good time. All right. So, uh, yeah, definitely good times. What about your first endeavor into fantasy? The home league? How long yeah, it ago? Was- it was home leagues for me. Basically, my first full dive in was in college. I was in a fraternity, and we all like sports. And it started out, of course, we all played football. And I was the big baseball guy in the house. So I said, guys, let's play baseball. Like, screw it. Let's play baseball. Like, we're not, we don't have a lot of money on the line. We're all college kids eating top ramen. Let's just play some baseball. And um, it just slowly developed there. I still am in leagues with at least half those guys to this day. Um, a little home league we have going, and the other half kind of keeps whittling in and out. But uh, that's just where it started. And then just obviously once I got out of college a while back, it's just gotten crazy from there. And then you, you find Twitter and then you realize there's so much more in this world. So, um, yeah, I've, it's been a just constant uptick on what's going on. Then I meet Toby and that just makes things crazier now because now I got to play an FBC and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing, Toby. It's a good thing. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just one thing. It started out just kind of a fun hobby, I guess, taking the things we just talked about and making it more of a fantasy game and just building it from there with guys that actually want to play. Because when I was in high school, yeah, we weren't thinking about playing fantasy baseball. We were thinking about where we're we going on Friday night and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, once we got to college, it's kind of where uh, I started playing it pretty regularly. Yeah, it was, it was similar to me. I think um, I learned about it, in, I think, like senior year of high school. There were some kids in one of my classes who I heard talking about it, and they played on Sandbox. Um, I don't uh, know if you guys yeah. ever played on Sandbox, but Points League, believe it or not, you know, now that now that I only do my Roto Leagues, uh, a Points <laughs> League on Sandbox. And um, yeah, it was a blast. Uh, and then I, when I went to college, I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, uh, get placed into like living close to some guys that I hit it off with really quick. And we started having fantasy leagues from freshman year on. And um, we did baseball for a while, actually, on Sandbox. I think we had like... Uh, I think it was, I can't remember when Roy Oswalt first came up, but I remember he oh. came up for the Astros, you know, and he just came out of nowhere and was just like one of the best pitchers that year. That's, that's the first guy that really stands out to me. 
But uh, it's kind of fun and on Yahoo, you can kind of go back and see who was on your teams all these years ago, at least on the final roster. Um, so that's, oh, that's always cool. a little bit of, always a little bit of a trip. Um, but yeah, I've been playing ever since like every year. Um, and, but not like I normally play like up until maybe three or four years ago, I played, um, you know, maybe one to three leagues every, every oh, year. Man, how but, times um, have changed. Mike. Yeah. I know it's been, a, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a quick trajectory. I hope the, uh, I hope the fall isn't as, uh, quick as the rise in number of leagues that I've, that I've done. Um, but yeah, this year, this last year, I think I had like 22 or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, only, tw- uh, only twelve of them were were draft 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 champions. So only ten of them had fab. Ten fabs. All right. Ten fabs. All right. Ten fabs. Ten fabs. All right. So that's. It's it's a it's a ton of work. It, you know, oh, it's, it's a ton lot. of work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It really I is. I mean, it's yeah. I don't know why I do it myself, but I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I, I did the same thing to myself and I don't regret it at all because <laughs> like, it's just, I have, uh, you know, like a, my mind races all day, so I might as well race on something good, mm. <laughs> like fantasy go. baseball. So, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, even like during the shutdown, like the guys in my, in my keeper league were like, Hey, let's start a dynasty league. I'm like, okay, well, let's just do, you know, it was only hundred bucks but whatever it was just still something you know i remember i ordered the baseball hq like minor league analyst and i mm. ripped through it in like you know three or four days and i was ready you know but uh it, it ended up being a great you know league is top six was all so close came down to the last day for top three and uh you know i definitely glad i did it but you know it's still at some point i was like oh man why did i add this league to my list uh, but I remember my first ever baseball fantasy league, me and my brothers. It's so funny looking back on it because when they started doing these retro drafts, uh, the shutdown, that's kind of um, looking back, that's kind of what we did. I mean, it was like 94 was the strike year. And like, I remember we were sitting in our house and my brother's like, oh, let's have like a, a draft, you know, and we'll, I'll keep track of the stats. And um again like my brother my oldest brother joe he he had it and you know i actually won you know it was so funny i beat like my three brothers and our two friends and uh it was cool you know palmero yeah. and a uh, pretty, pretty cool roster and i just looking back at it like wow this is awesome retro drafting in 94 before it was a thing <laughs> we were we reviewed that season on the pod with brock yeah, one of my favorite shows looking back yeah. on that because it, it was kind of a a reminiscent thing but it was yeah. cool like and of course toby and brock are much uh more statistically inclined than i am and they were bringing out stats that just made you laugh compared to what we see these days it was like if people get bored either a you want to go listen to the show that'd be awesome but b <laughs> b just go look go look up the stats and like we literally had to just cut ourselves off after like almost an hour and a half two hours because we were just going down rabbit holes on some of these stats it was insane the, uh, what happened that you like Frank Thomas and Jeff Bagwell didn't we find out they're they have the same birthday too or something born yeah, on the same yeah day? they were born on the like, exact same it was day like the, like the rabbit holes we went down were just like yeah. crazy yeah that's that's yeah, a that, rabbit hole for sure the biggest <laughs> thing for me was like the pitcher strikeouts yeah like you know these guys who you thought were these like dominant guys you're like oh Jimmy Key was so good back in the day and you're like he struck out five guys per nine yeah like, yeah just right you know, unbelievable. I mean, the talent, I mean, the talent that you see now, you throw one of these guys 
in that game in the in games at that point in time and it just would have been over you know what i'm saying like just you know these guys throwing it 100 the only guys who could throw it 100 then were like rob dibble and guys just went (laughs) up there and were like i hope i walk you know like and um yeah it's 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 uh it's crazy now guys the game has changed yeah now guys are saying i'm gonna take this 100 mile heat like you know right center you know like it's it's totally changed yeah I mean, absolutely. Even even when I was, you know, when when Seaver just recently passed, it was looking at his numbers and his K, you know, his K per nine, like six point nine. It, mm-hmm. you know, for as great and dominant he was, he, you know, it just wasn't a thing. You know, it was. Uh, it's just now, like you said, just just these guys are sick, and people wonder why it's a, a you know, three outcomes. You know, uh, yeah. what do you you know what do you expect? You know, you. I think your likelihood of hitting two homers versus Gary Cole versus racking 14 hits against them, you know, that's more realistic. And, you know, that's what I guess a lot of people have trouble digesting, you know, mm. is why can't they hit it down? You know, because when you hit it down, I tell them because they, you know, your batting average, when you hit the ball, oh, I don't want to hear it. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. What it I, is. I just looked it up. Nolan Ryan's career K percentage was, was 25.3%. You know, so just to give you a sense of like the change in 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 volume, you know, like his, his, his career K minus walk rate was 12.9%, you know, and he was on the Ryan Express. Super good. Yeah. He was the Ryan Express, like the coal train or the right fly past that thing. Now that's how crazy (laughs) it is. Totally. I think he the has steam been. engine versus a bullet train. <laughs> the steam engine. <laughs> but it's that gif a guy's putting coal in the thing the whole time. <laughs> I think Ryan too had like 900 more walks than anyone in history. Yeah, yeah. Some crazy yeah. number. He, his, like, the volume was the just volume nuts, he had man. was nuts. Yeah, absolutely. He would be. He, he would have been a solid dynasty uh, buy. <laughs> yeah. Totally. He threw. Exactly. He threw 332 innings one year. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that is yeah. ridiculous. Listen, while we're while we're looking at um, stats, I found two questions that I'm gonna two trivia questions I'm gonna ask you guys. I didn't write it down, but um, so I'm gonna shoot it to you right now. So let's segue right into that. Who faced the most batters this year? Which pitcher? Two of them were tied. Who faced the most batters, batters this year? Two of them were tied. I would oh, say. Man. Bauer and Bieber. Okay. Bauer and Bieber. I don't think it. <sighs> I'm just thinking innings pitched. Is the only thing that's going through my head. I right. know. I know. I'm just thinking like um, those are great. Those are great guesses. I'm trying to think of who was. Oh, Lance Lynn. Bingo. That's why. Lance Lynn. That's a good one. Um, because the thing about Bieber is he was so efficient. That's he threw a true. ton, that's, a ton of that's innings. A good point. Batter space and same with that's Bauer. Bauer didn't didn't walk the normal volume of guys that he gets. So I'm gonna Bauer go with Lynn. I'm gonna go Lynn, and I'm trying to think of like who is just like a deep dude. Now I'm going through like um, players in my head. I'm, I'm gonna go with. Um, uh, I don't think it's right, but Scherzer. What about okay. Chilito? No. Yeah. And and Bieber and Bauer were also wrong, but Lynn yeah. was right. Okay, here's the second one. NL West, I'll give you that. NL West. Huh, let me think. 
Zach Davies? No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> he, he was like, no. like surprisingly. Surpri- I, I don't want to say Kershaw because Kershaw didn't go deep into games. Right. And it's, an interesting one. it's an interesting one. I would yeah, Antonio Spensatella. <laughs> Same team. <laughs> Marquez? Oh. Yeah, Marquez. Wow. wow. That's wow. fascinating. Uh, wow. Uh, and I was just talking about on last night's show, I took him in uh, two early mocks because – he fell finally. I never wanted to take him early. Never, ever early. But he's fallen in two early mocks. I doubt that happens in March. But, man, if yeah. I can get him where, you know, around pick 150 or so, it's much more intriguing. Man. Yeah. And I, I would never have guessed him if you, unless you said in the West. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was, I, I, I saw it and I was like, wow. It was like on, on Alex Chamberlain's leaderboard. And I was just like, I saw like about his face. And I was like, oh, wow. Look at these two guys. Interesting. Yeah. Um, second trivia question is the top three batters in pitches seen this year, they are all on the same team. Oh, jeez. Can, can you guys get pitches, pitches seen and they're pitches all seen. tied? No, not they're all tied. All, they're all, all on the same team. team. They're yeah, all on one, the same team. One, two, and three. They're all on the same team. Trent Grisham, Fernando Tatis Jr. You, you want to say Machado. <laughs> is it Machado? Machado. Machado. That's what I would go with. All right, Bubba, what do you got? I'm trying to think of plate discipline, guys, because if you didn't say he got that right, so I think it's I have a chance. Uh, that's tricky. That's real tricky. Plate discipline, plate discipline. Like I just go through teams in my head who had the best. Um, it's probably wrong, but give me Jose Ramirez, Carlos Santana, and Francisco Lindor. Wow. Bam. Nice. Wow, Bubba. Nice. Oh that, man! Knock that one out of the park. That was pretty solid. That's what I'm talking Damn. about. That's a good one right there. Yeah, you just filtered through. You had you did a quick roll, Dex, right there. I was, was literally just staring at the yeah. staring at the wall, looking like thinking, okay, going through the divisions in my head. What teams? What man. teams? What teams? That's so fascinating though, because they didn't they weren't that good offensively, right? You know? Right. Um, yeah, man, uh, Jose Altuve. Yep. Comes up with runners on first and second and chance to redeem himself and strikes out. I always do hate it when the ump calls that though behind the plate instead of checking down the line. Yeah, you got to check. You got to check. I'm like, that was pretty close actually. Yeah. Um, Altuve's having a little resurgence here, huh? Yeah. uh, Except in the field. Except in the field. Right. For for those old school listeners, uh, Chuck Knobloch can relate to what's going on with Jose Altuve right about now. Oh, five, five earned runs he, or five unearned runs he's resulted his errors have led to. Yeah. Wow, that's big. It negates the four homers he hit pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, but uh um it's interesting to see them, you know. I I don't know if I got caught cheating, you know, it's just like a big thing to get over mentally and like how other people are looking at you and it's you know. I'm not favoring them at all, but they did cheat. But it's pretty impressive how they did react to it in these first couple rounds. You know, they have a lot, you know, a lot of hatred at them. And they just put their head down like, listen, we're major leaguers. Let's just get, you know, let's just fight through it. And I know everyone's rooting for them to lose, and they probably will. But it's uh, it's just impressive nonetheless, you know, with uh, all the circumstances that face them. Unless they're still found their way to cheat now in the playoffs. <laughs> I was a huge fan of theirs because if they hadn't have cheated, they would have never won that World Series against the Dodgers and kept them from winning. <laughs> hey, as, hey, as, as Feifel once said, never say never. So <laughs> you, you don't know. Right. You're right. 
So yeah, I was gonna just do a quick like snapshot of um, how you guys did this year. Tell me like you know what and uh, what went wrong, what went right in terms of uh, guys you you know targeted or maybe strategies that you employed um, you know in your roster construction um, for this year. Any league, you know, it could be uh, NFC league or home league or you know. Tell me about like what worked best for you guys. Toby's was much better than mine, so I'll let you have the floor, Toby. <laughs> um, yeah, Toby, yes, the, the, Toby the did short, pretty good. Yeah. Toby the, short did. Season, the short season was good. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I beat a know, lot of I, people, but you won. You know, you yeah. beat you beat more. Nah, league, you, so. you still got you still got me. You still if got. You, all, if you uh, guys could see Toby's humble pay, face right now, it pays to uh, <laughs> it pays to um, to finish first overall. Um, yeah, no, I mean the season went pretty well for me. I mean, I'm, I've said this a couple of times, but you know, the last, the last day really was just, uh, was phenomenal. Um, really helped me out a lot. I was worried about winning one of my, one of my four, um, mains and not worried about it, but I had one of them kind of locked in. Um, and I ended up with three, uh, that last day. So awesome. that was pretty Congrats. good. Um, and then did pretty well in my other leagues. Um, one and one, one of my OCs, um, and finished, uh, six, sixth overall, I think um in the oc which was cool i had I only had two teams um i was a little pissed one of them finished like 30th 37th overall or something like that but i i lost i lost the league because the guy ahead of me finished in the top three i think um so yeah so a good wow. season overall um but i think um you know like i talked about my strategy going into it i mean i had pocket aces in all of my main events um, and some of them worked out better than others. Like I had, I didn't have any leagues where both hit actually. Like I had right. Bieber and Scherzer. So Bieber hit, Scherzer didn't really, but he still gets you, you know, he's better than your average pitcher. Um, and then I had Cole in one. And then I had, um, I had DeGrom and Strasburg in the other one. The other one I had was Cole and Lynn. So those both kind of hit, you know, if you take the full season. Um, so that was one of the strategies that played out well. And I just think I hit on some of the back end uh, picks offensively. I had Teoscar Hernandez on a few teams. I had um, Will Myers on every single one of my teams, um, literally like every single one of my main event teams. Um, and then I had, um, I also had uh, like Dansby Swanson on a, on a couple. So overall, like just a, um, you know, I think, I think that's kind of like what you hope to do with the strategy that I employ. And so I was fortunate and again, it's a shortened season, so you never know how the arc of that season goes. And it just happens in time, like that moment in time, I happen to be in first place in, in the three leagues. So, right. um, so overall, like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm through the roof in terms of being excited about the way it finished. And I think, you know, it makes me feel more confident in the, in the strategy that I've used for a couple of years now, which is, which has led me to some success in, in the main event. And, um, and so, yeah, and then I think, I think where I struggled was when I went for stolen base guys early that missed. I had Victor Robles on a couple teams, one of the teams that won and then one of the teams that lost. And, um, and I was just chasing steals the whole season. And actually that's what cost me. I totally messed it up. I totally butchered botched this league. I mean, the teams that won it like won because their teams were super good. I mean, but, um, but the Barf League that me and Bubba are in, I was, I was winning for like probably the last three weeks or so. And I actually had like at some point, like a 15 point league. And I was just so focused on stolen bases that I ended up grabbing like three or four stolen base guys for a couple weeks in a row. And it just dragged me down in all the categories and I didn't have time to, to respond. And it was just a real, 
failure strategically. And so, you know, it gets to your overall questions of like, how do you address stolen bases, especially when you place such an emphasis on starting pitching. And so you're not, you don't have access to the same pool of players when you do that, that have stolen bases and power or have stolen bases in kind of a really robust profile. So, um, you know, that's just something I need to be thinking about and maybe I'll get luckier next year, or maybe I'll get not lucky um, in that respect. But I think that those are just some of the lessons learned, I think, as well as just the importance of pitching, man, and not wanting to stream a lot of your, your starting pitchers. is just a really painful place to go. Well, Toby, I'll be really honest. You're not lucky. You're actually good at what you do. So you can stop with the lucky yard. And I'll skip yeah. <laughs> um, well, but... I mean, like I try, I put a lot of, I put a lot of time and energy and effort into this. Um, so I appreciate that, Bubba. And, but there is still luck involved. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. You, you you can put the roster on the field, you can't hit for him. So that's the fun, that's, that's that's the fun part. Sometimes as much as you I want, want it. as much as we want to yell at the TV, there's only so much we can do. Um, but yeah, for me, I didn't do any NFPC. I had them planned out. I was in some early, got my money back, and I just didn't want to invest in it in the right. shortened season. That wasn't my cup of tea. I was already in some other leagues for some money with some friends and some other stuff. So I stuck those out. I finished second in one league, and I lost it on the last day because. I've never played in a league where they restrict once you hit a certain innings limit, you can't play that position anymore. So I had like oh. half my roster was empty that day. So Yahoo. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yahoo. Didn't even know. I went to go set my lineup that day. It was daily roster moves and like all this stuff was redded out and I couldn't. Oh dude. It. And you're like, why is it red? Yes. What's, oh, what's wrong with this so, player? I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like pounding my phone trying to figure out what the heck's going yeah, on. And I was so not happy. And so I lost it on the last day there. Um, and then I won one of my two listener leagues. That was fun. The, the comp- competition of those leagues, I was very impressed. Like, I like free leagues where people like – I like playing for pride a lot. Like, money's awesome. Like, money's great. Obviously, money rules the world. But I love just like – that's why I love TGFBI because mm-hmm. it gets a lot of people involved in things. Like, I, I every year, even if I'm out of it, I bust my butt. Like, I finished third in my league and I was pumped on that because I didn't have any fab for half the season. Like, I was just trying everything I could to make it wow. work. Um, injuries crushed me. And I, like I've talked about on the show, if I didn't have injuries, my team's finished like second or first in most of my leagues. Every other league except TGFBI that I had my injuries in, I was in the bottom like three teams. It was just a disaster. So the, the short season, like we've all experienced, and Toby's attested to it with his fab talks a, a lot, is it was one of the most grueling like eight-week stints ever because of just always trying to make the perfect things, always trying to make it work. Instead of like a normal year, if you have a guy hurt, you can be like, you know what? I can ride this out with this other guy for a week and we'll be cool. Like, I'd rather keep this guy and make it work long-term. You didn't have that luxury anymore. And it was, it was tough, but overall it was a good season. Um, Like strategies that worked for me, it just depended. Like health was such a disaster. Like it really was. I did some of uh, the pocket aces. The more I listened to Toby, the more it gets brainwashed into your head. So that worked pretty good. But I'm also a guy like I've talked about, I, I like getting a healthy, five tool five category back like i love getting stolen base. that's why i have a trey turner guy people think it's crazy sometimes i take him early i love trey turner i think the dude's legit he gets hurt by bunting a ball what are you gonna do about that like yes out of your control but uh, those are the kind of guys you're so set in five categories that you can build your roster different ways gives you flexibility so it just depends on where you are in the draft And there's some questions we have later from some of the guys that I'll, I'll kind of elaborate more on some okay. of those things. Yeah. Cool. But um, it, it, a lot of it's roster construction. And just this year, a lot of it was out of my hands. It was just a rough, rough go at times. 
Right. Yeah. It, it was a test for everything, you know, but I, I think because how close everyone was to, you know, in the standings and relatively all my leagues that it was so much more involved at the end of the year than you get from, you know, just guys at the top or guys trying to get to the top. It was, I think players, you know, only were seeing how you gained 13 points in a week and I'm like, Oh shit. Like I'm not out of it because it's, you know, it was a shorter season. And I think it was, that's why it was even tougher for me that um, overall more people were competitive in fab at the end of the year. Um, and that just really made you have to bring like everything to the table when looking at that. And some leagues that, you know, I did well, was able to be a week ahead and some leagues wasn't been, um, but I found that to be the biggest thing I took away from this year was just the competitive nature, like more at the end of the year, teams were there and it was cool. I, yeah. It made me better, you know? I think that's, I think that's a huge point because one of the things about the pocket aces strategy, which I've mentioned before, but like, it sounds like it's not strategic, but it really is, is like when you play in season long fantasy baseball, like there's a certain point in time when guys in your league check out, even in the higher stakes leagues, like people say everybody's in it, you know, yeah people check out right and so you can actually make up a lot of those counting stats your runs your rbi you know home runs stolen bases maybe a little bit more challenging right but you can actually make up some ground there towards the end of the season just by grinding when other people aren't grinding or when other people have given up or when other people have moved on to fantasy football but i think that's a really good point it was really interesting like i did feel like the vast majority of guys in my league were in it throughout the whole period of time, even after football had, had been going um, a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point and difference. And, and I think a positive of this shortened season was people seemed more invested throughout the entire season, um, which was nice, you know, because you always want that integrity within the league. You always want people trying as hard as they can. And, and it does impact dramatically, I think, the, the standings, how they finish. It does because, you know, you're just fighting everybody for guys. And um, even when you make a bunch of hiccups and, you know, nobody makes a move in your league and people just fall into the, you know, like, oh, like no one bid on this guy. And it just should be where everyone's paying more attention. And I thought, I thought it was fascinating. I know like years ago, Ron Chandler did Chandler Park and that was like a one month game. And it's funny how like if, he didn't gain enough interest to keep it going, but I tried it. And back then I didn't enjoy it. But like right now I, I, I'm like, Oh yeah, I would do that again because I think mm -hmm. it's like a cool mix of, you know, season and daily. It's like, you know, month snapshots. And it's also cool. Like to see how maybe you, how quickly you can identify trends or like, and if it's real or not. And, um, you know, it would just be pretty cool. Like to maybe, uh, maybe that'll happen. Maybe next year we might see like segmented, uh, you know, seasons, uh, 50 games, three 50 game seasons uh, in one season. I don't know. It's just, it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. I think it made me a lot better uh, because of that, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, NFBC two years ago did the, what after one of the holidays, mid season, basically did a second half season league. They did some of those like second chance leagues, whatever second they call them. Yeah. So I, I could see them doing something like that again. I could see them doing shorter leagues. Uh, there's a new site out that I'm still kind of toying around with called Owner's Box. They do weekly leagues, and they, I think they're talking about doing monthly leagues also. They do them for all sports. 
So instead of, so it's not necessarily daily, but it's not full deal. Weekly be kind of weird, but uh, there's formats trying to enhance this kind of ability. So. Right, right. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think uh, I, li- I like how that um, happened this year. My All my leagues were super competitive and everyone was into it. And everyone who thought they weren't, weren't going to be into it and were like, I, I don't really want to spend money. And actually ended up being like, ah, you know what, this was cool. I enjoyed it, you know, so everything happened for, you know, somewhat of a good thing in that respect. And, um, but uh, how will you factor in your, anything that happened this year into your next year evaluation of players? So, you know, take it, what, what kind of uh, impact will it make for your outlook? Player eval next year. Yeah. I mean, for for me, I think, you know, I, I rely on projections. So I really, focus on projections and, um, you know, I'll, I'll be taking a look at how they handle it. But generally speaking, I think, you know, um, we talked about this a little bit on the pod yesterday, like as we were discussing it, but like, I really think it's a matter of, um, you know, looking at it, you got to look at each individual player, right. And look to see whether there was actual concrete skill changes and not necessarily like just skill changes, but are these skill changes that appear to be, outside of maybe the usual variance that you would see from a player within this, the type of window that we have. And so, you know, looking at contact skills because those, you know, stabilize quicker because they're based on number of pitches or number of times the batter swings, things like that, like looking at those things and whether they changed or whether there was like a mechanical adjustment or things like that. So kind of taking the, the qualitative kind of news piece, like the mining the news type stuff that Jeff Zimmerman does so well, and then kind of looking at the at the box at the box score, like looking at their stats and figuring out whether something changed dramatically. But generally, I'll handle it the same way I always do, which is like the projections will kind of guide me in a general direction. And then I look into the projection and I think about circumstance, the environment, the plate appearances, where they're in the lineup, you know, the skills that they've shown, you know, ceiling floor, where they're going in drafts, things like that, to figure out who I want to go to, go forward with versus not. What I think we want to stay away from is guys, guys who had like exceptional stats in a particular category. So like a good example, um, you know, that we talked about last night was like Michael Conforto, you know, where everybody talked about how he's a new player. He's super good, but you know, really he just had a sick, a, a Babbitt that was way, that was 412 for the season. Right. right. You know, there wasn't really any skill changes under underlying that. So I think that's the type of analysis that I'll do. And so I don't think it's something where you could say like, I'm going to factor in 2020 this way. I'm going to factor 2019 this way. I'll put a lot more emphasis on 2019 generally, just like I think the projections probably will. Um, but like, I, I just need to look at the body of work to figure out individually whether to, to whether to believe what I see in 2020 or not. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. Yeah. I like yeah. It. It's, it's a lot of similarities. I think projections will be very, very important. Um, a phrase that I've already said uh, I'm going to use way too often this offseason is take everything with a grain of salt. That's going to be a, <laughs> a very, um, like, like, like Toby was saying, guys that were really, really good or really, really bad, let's kind of take into consideration we don't know what was going on. Like some mm-hmm. of these guys like, were dealing with things we don't know about because we had no beat writers really. Like it was just a, a whole weird deal, guys changing things. Uh, we talked about a few players that like maybe they changed their approach to the play. They weren't as aggressive. There's little things that were different that we didn't have the full story on. So I think projections are good. I think using like 2019 with 2020 and kind of getting there or even 2018 with 2019 and 20, getting like a kind of two and a half year projection, I think are good ways to go about it. But the, the best part's going to be is just trying to find all the news we can 
and uh, digging in and doing what we do, love to do. And that's just kind of degenerate yeah. out on some of this stuff. Right, right. Just hammer down and scoop up anything you can find, you know. I think that's mm-hmm. definitely crucial. It's it, it, it was tough this year because, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, you can't project uh, the human element, you know, like players are more than uh, projected stats, you know, because like what they, what they do have going on in their lives, you know, they're going through a divorce, uh, you know, their wife in the hospital for some strange, you know, and that, you know, we obviously don't know that, but it, it affects everything. I think Jock Peterson was one of the guys they mentioned that had some stuff going on. It just like, found out like recently you know and um he just had a baby right yep. yeah i think there was granky was interviewed today on tuesday saying that when his family came to san diego because they could bring families into the bubble that was the first time he saw them the entire season yeah see that's yeah. Let, that, let that sink in for these guys yeah absolutely <laughs> so, you know. that's yeah you're taking them out of their whole life the everything they're comfortable with you know it's it's definitely it's definitely huge. Plays a big part, and uh, I'm not the I'm not the uh, projection type. I do look at them. Uh, I don't really um, you know revolve my approach around the projection. I'll just use it to like sometimes keep me honest, I guess, with what I'm looking at and yeah. what I think I'm seeing, and just you know I'll take a peek and I'm like oh okay like. I think I'm way off there. Let me see what I'm looking at wrong. Um, mm. Because I'm just, I think just from, you know, being a big uh, baseball HQ forecaster guy, I just, you know, they, especially Chandler, he's big on the, like, how bad we are at projecting, mm-hmm. you know, you know, stats. And like, you know, even though skills are still volatile, they're much less volatile than projecting a bunch of numbers. And, um, so I've always felt that way. I felt comfortable doing it that way. Um, but again, like I, I, I look at them. I just, you know, I just try to, you know, trust my, I guess, like you're saying, the evaluation on everything else, you know. Uh, but they do keep me honest at times. I, de- I definitely feel that way. I think that's a really important point too, because I think one of the mistakes, one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a fantasy owner is being overly optimistic with your projections for players. Mm. I think being more conservative, like, because the thing is like, I always joke around. I, well, I don't always joke around, but I, when I talk, when I've talked to some people, I'm like, I'm never happy with my team. Like I'm never <laughs> like, like literally, like I'm always like, Oh, I don't have this or I don't have this. Like I'm never happy with, with that, the way that goes. And I feel like part of that is projections because they're, they're not conservative. They're a 50, 50th percentile median projection. And a guy is going to finish 61 year and 41 year and 71 year. And what you're trying to do is essentially like the same thing you do, like, right. When you're playing like DFS or something like that, like you can put the best lineup out there for one game and it doesn't work out. But if you put the optimum lineup out there for 24 games, right. Then the chances are you're going to do better than somebody who's just, you know, kind of throwing guys out there. It's the same thing with your team, right? Like each one of your individual guys may hit or miss, but when you take the, the totality of the projection of your team, mm-hmm. it gives you a pretty good sense of where you are uh, from a team perspective. And I think what a lot of people do who don't use projections or just like who maybe don't play the game that often or just generally like we all want to be optimistic, right? Like we all want, we're going to talk about biases later, I think. Like it's like you want to be optimistic about the guys you really like but ask yourself, how many times has the guy ever done that in his career, right? 
Mm -hmm. uh, does he need full health in order to hit that projection, right? There's all these things we don't factor in because we don't want to think the guy I drafted in the second round is going to get injured for 30 games or something like that, right? But right. like, again, like you just want to take, that's why I love projections because the more you use them with your team, like the, the more likely you are to get a good picture of the strengths and weaknesses of your team and then during a season, before you even start to see the stats accumulate, you already know I'm short in stolen bases, so I need to be looking for guys who are stolen bases. Or I'm fine in power, so I don't need to be looking as much in the wire there. I don't want to spend my limited fab on going after a guy that has a lot of home runs when I, can, I need to be focusing that, that money or saving that money for guys with speed that can help me, things like that. Do you um, – at at any time during the season, like look at rest of season projection for your team and try to see if, you know, or no, you just, you just. I don't like, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, but I don't either. I just, I, I just wanted to know if that was something you utilize. That would actually probably be like a really fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have up here and like spit out projections, but right. um, I'm actually like, I think one of my weaknesses, I don't pay attention to my team, like how individual players are doing actually. It's like one of these things where at the end of the season, I was like, oh, DJ LeMahieu had a good season. And then somebody was like, oh, yeah, he had like 48 runs. I was like, he had 48 runs? Like, that's nuts. Or like Dan We talked, we talked about like, him two weeks ago as our MVPs. And he's it? like looking at his stat line going, I'm oh, like, my goodness. Oh, oh, he was really good. And I had him on like a bunch of teams. But for me, like I'm never – and that's a weakness because I have guys who are dragging me down. But part of it is also like – faith in the fact that like there are certain guys I don't need to pay attention to you know like I don't right. need to know how well they're doing because they're going to be in my lineup they're going to stay there and unless there's something seriously wrong I'm not going to move away from them and so it's kind of like of all the things that I'm worried about a lot of my focus and my energy goes on you know, who am I going to start in the next period who is available on the waiver wire who's doing well across the league like looking at just a those leaderboards like on a regular basis just to see if there are guys who are popping out who I might be able to draft because it really doesn't matter to me that DJ Lemieux is doing great because I'm going to start DJ right. Lemieux, you know, right. Right. Um, he's going to be in my lineup. So, but I think it is, it can be a, a real challenge when I have a guy and um, again, it gets to the biasy questions. I really like one of the things I think it's primacy bias where if a guy starts out hot, Sometimes we forget. He's like in there and like, oh, he's doing well. He's doing well. He's doing well. And then you look at his line, you're like, he's not doing well. Like what happened? And it's like, oh, he had a great first week, but he sucked for four weeks now. And I haven't picked up on that. And so I think that that's actually, you know, an improvement for sure. Yes. I feel like that's, um, I constantly look at the end of the year and say, well, shit, this guy, this guy did this, you know, and that's, that is a weakness. I think it's probably from the spread of leagues that you can't really digest and break down each one as you probably should like, or like want to, at least in my brain. And I would love to get into that. And I found myself, like you said, at the end of the year, just saying, oh shit, like, why did this guy, why did I have him all year? Or like he did this good all year, you know, it's, uh, that's something I need to get better at, definitely. I, I always know their batting average, though, because I look at box scores, like, religiously. Yes. Yes. You know, so I always know what, on the far left hand of the box score, I know what that number is, so I know how they're doing there. I don't know what the other ones are over the course of the season. So. Right. No, that's a good point. Same thing. They do the same thing. So since, since we brought up the, the, the biases, um, why don't we get into that? So, yeah, I'm pretty fascinated about how, like, the brain works against us sometimes in fantasy sports and um 
I downloaded the book by Renee Miller, who writes for The Athletic, and it's Cognitive Biases and Fantasy Sports, How Our Brain is Sabotaging Our Fantasy Teams. And it's pretty cool. It's a quick read. It's 41 pages. Um, but she talks about the recency bias and primacy bias. And so for the listeners out there, recency bias, as you probably know, is whatever happened in the recent past is more easily recalled than events and experiences that occurred in the more distant past. So the nearer the learning, the stronger the memory. Um, but in some cases, the brain recalls the first events in a specific situation more often than one would expect based on how much the recency bias trend affects us. So our first kiss, the first movie, et cetera, that's what's called primacy bias. Um, we remember the first and most recent events and everything else in the middle is kind of fuzzy. So it affects me and my team management when, you know, like I said, Toby, a guy has the first great week of the season and I just you know by week six I'm like the last three weeks I shouldn't have had him in there but got off to that great start and you know it's a way the brain especially like we just talked about if we're not spending enough time breaking our team down and you know exactly instead just like oh wow uh this guy you know I should have been off my team you know three four weeks ago so I picked out some players that I um feel like it's happening you know while looking at the either the two early mocks or just results from like um last season and it seems like Arenado uh, in my mind still gets like the his whole life accomplishment um bias you know and Dan B. Swanson I just I think is definitely a factor in that primacy bias where he didn't um, start out like we expected a number one pick to do. And I feel like some people are still behind on really evaluating how good of a player he is. Um, I just wanted to know if anyone right now pops out or anyone in the history of you playing has really like screwed you or helped you like, you know, by, by realizing these things. Yeah. There's, there's always guys that uh, I, you, I can give you a privacy bias and a recency bias all in one. <laughs> I love it. A, a, a couple of years ago um, when Matt Carpenter started out horribly, I dropped him and then he went on an absolute tear. And now you have a recency bias of that, that tells you, should I let go of a guy when he's struggling, even though you probably should, cause we've been talking about that. And uh, so you have to get the recency bias out of your head that that was a one-time thing, hopefully, and it won't be that bad going forward. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, what he did first made me drop him. Now I'm terrified to drop guys too early again. So um, that's one that I've worked on the last couple of years. That's a lot of fun, but uh you know, the, the, the two early mocks is great. And we talked about it a bit recently. And I think it's a fun one to kind of get this ADP put together and then check it out in like February or even December when the DC starts and stuff like that. Just kind of see where it keeps changing. Because recency bias, as they say, is a hell of a drug. And if you look <laughs> at some of these some of these ADPs, it's like, yeah, hey, these guys are good. Like, don't get me wrong. But let's be real. Like, we already know guys like us that play and the people that are listening that have played for a while. There's a lot of guys that are high up right now that ain't going this high come, come, you know, big boy season. So it's just not happening. So it's fun to look at it now. And some of this is really important stuff because it actually like makes you look into a player more, but then there's a bunch of guys like, no, that's not happening. No, it's not happening. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I know Toby's got a couple guys circled here, but uh, you know, some guys I wouldn't be shocked if the, you know, like you want Moncada to me, we talked about him last night. He's way too low. Like to me, that's a guy that, the recency bias of a bad season, but people forget he had COVID. He even flat out said he could barely breathe at times. Like, give me a healthy yawn. He's going to go a lot higher than that. I could tell Marte's another guy. Had a horrible year. Last year, people were debating taking him on a two-second, early third round. 
Now he's dropping up to pick 70. Like those are guys that I, you know, one guy, Toby and I both love last year and let us down Javi Baez. Like these are guys that I will be jumping all over with like glee if they're at that point in time in a draft. So it's a great tool to look at because like literally your two biases, the two early mocks is a recency bias perfection like like a script of what took place here like some guys are good don't get me wrong like some guys deserve to be where they are you can't really argue it but you could just sit there and pick that thing apart left and right and then they start making arguments for all kinds of things and that's kind of an interesting tool to use for that yeah and it's so funny you said those guys because in the last part i did with the uh with uh dave mcdonald and jake halska and tony divincenzo from the high heat guys they we talked about those three specific guys and we were like wow like give me them all day you know the, yeah. the three guys you just mentioned 100 percent at those spots yeah like gobble 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 you know all the time and what about you toby who you got circled well, for primacy bias, um, it explains why I draft Roy Oswald every single season. <laughs> I'm like, I always have him on my teams. I can't get over it because he's my first fantasy love. Um, no, I actually have been drafting Corey Oswald instead, which has not worked out super well for me at all. I've won in spite of that. No, I mean, I think Bubba highlights some really good examples. I mean, I just think that like there's, um, you know, I think the recency bias is one. And, and if you guys, if, if folks haven't read The Process by Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell, another excellent book that takes a look at kind of biases and, and, and looks at a little bit at the mental game. And I got to get um, Renee Miller's, Miller's book and read that because I do think that that's a really fascinating element of the game. And I think like kind of something that I buy more and more in on like an idea. And again, it, it, you got to look you know, these mantras are great, but like, you got to look at the individual player, but it's just like, don't got by a guy coming off of a career year, right? Like, just don't, don't do that because we are, there are certain guys who maybe can repeat that, but there's also a lot of guys who's that's their 95th percentile. That's their 90th percentile outcome. And they're not likely to hit that ever again. And you're paying for that. And so like a good example, like, I guess, uh, Whit Merrifield is kind of like a good example. I don't know why he jumps in my head, but he kind of had that, um, he had a season where he was, um, where he was pretty good, but like nobody really believed in him maybe because he wasn't like a pedigree guy, guy. So the primacy bias of like, here's a 28, 27 year old rookie who's coming up and stealing some bases, but I really liked what I saw from him. And so, you know, I drafted him. I think, I can't remember where he was going, like maybe around pick 60 or something like that after like a career year. So maybe I'm going against my own advice, but that seemed reasonable given kind of what the profile was. And then last year or the year before that, I actually think not last, not this year, but like 2019, he was going like in, in like, you know, ground pick 30 or something like that. And it was like, I love right. with Merrifield, but, but that's, you know, just cause I love him doesn't mean I'm going to pay that much for him. And so I think that's kind of like the ebb and flow of ADP, right. Is that, is that again, there's variance year to year, even because of, the sample sizes that we're dealing with. They're much bigger than what we dealt with before, but there's still that kind of year to year um, ebb and flow of talent. And it may be that a guy, you know, and this is a great example where it's like, they suck throughout the first 50 games of this year and they're doing really well in the last 10 and they would have done really well for the next 40, but we only caught the 10, the 10 window there. So maybe next, maybe next season. Adam Hart Mondesi, there you go. And so, (laughs) and so, and so, and then, but then next year, it may be that we catch those 40 games to start off with, then 50 bad games, and then we get the upswing again. And so they're capturing more of that, right? And so like, 
and so I just think that like, that's the ebb and flow. And what you want to do, I think, generally speaking, is you want to be catching it on the flow, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is, you want to be catching or just kind of stand in the middle and be like, this is his true value. And if he's below this, then I get him. If he's above this, then maybe I back off a little bit, you know, depending right. on what the profile is and the team needs are. And so I think those are both really great biases there. And I think you always need to be reevaluating to like what you, what you think about players, because I find this, like I used to be super biased, like super biased. Well, I still am super biased, but like I used to not draft any Yankees. I was right. a Red Sox fan. Yeah. Um, and so I never drafted Yankees on my team. I never had them on any teams, right? That's one version of it. But another version of it is I don't like this player. So I'm not going to draft it. Right. Or like, like, ah, I, I can't explain why I don't like this guy. I just don't, I can't get on board, but I can't really explain why. Right. And we all have that for players for whatever reason, because the team they play on or their profile, like bias is a great example where I was like, looking, I was like, I think one of my spots where I miss is I'm never interested in Tim Anderson's. I'm never interested in Javi bias because is because of the plate discipline. Right. And that's something that I value, but it's like, I'm missing out on these guys who maybe the market is undervaluing for the exact same reason. Right. And so of course I get poppy bias and he sucks, but I also got Tim Anderson a bunch of places and he was great. So again, like, you know, um, anyways, I'm always long winded, but like, that's just, I think you need to be kind of always managing both of those and trying to be cognizant of them. We can't eliminate them, but I think at least if you're aware of them, it makes you a better fantasy player. Sure. Hey, real, real quick, I got one more thing I want to say is, Rob, I bet you can answer this question, but we went through all of Toby's biases right there almost, and he didn't mention his biggest primacy bias. There's a guy named JTR, I'm pretty sure. Wouldn't you agree that's one of his biases? He has to have like every draft. I think it's yeah. a pretty good bias. No, yeah. that, is a, <laughs> that is a horrible example because I was not in on JTR in 2019. I had, I had Yadier Molina ranked yeah. above him and I had to reevaluate yeah. because it was like, I look at him and I'm like, and like, I, for some reason, I'm, there's something in me that doesn't like JTR and it wanted me to believe that he was a three stolen base guy instead of a 12 stolen base guy. Right. Well, it turns out he's an eight to nine stolen base guy, right? And that's beautiful. Which as a catcher, catcher is like a 20 stolen base guy. Exactly. And so, <laughs> and so I think that's a good example where it was like, where I wasn't buying in and they're just, you know, it was kind of like, now I've seen enough. I've, there's that guy on Twitter who's super annoying, but he, he does election. That, goes, you gotta I've narrow seen, that list down. I've, I've, seen, I've seen enough. He says, I've seen enough. I've started saying that, which I shouldn't do. Whatever the guys, whatever. But like, it's like, it's like at a certain point, you gotta be like, he is who he is. And that's either it's good, bad or not. And he's got a value. And it's, I need to figure out what that is and decide whether I want to draft him or not. It's like, it's like I tell my wife, you know who you married. Like, you, 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 you accept what you got. The bands are who we thought they were? Exactly. And you <laughs> let them off the hook. It's very simple. <laughs> there you go. It's a oh, great man. example. Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it, it's funny how you mentioned the, like, missing profiles and undervaluing markets, you know, because I think, I think you really nailed it right there because – you may be thinking for a specific player, it could be, you know, harmful and, you know, you, you don't like their swinging miss, but when they do hit the ball, they're smashing the ball. So I guess you have to weigh that risk and, you know, mix it into your, into the roster build, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, 
So there is a couple of guys that, a couple of head-to-heads uh, guys I want to give you um, to pick from, from the two early mocks um, that are clustered together. And if you would pick them in that range as well. And the first set of guys is Jose Abreu and Ozuna. They're all, they're going about in the 38 ADP range. And again, either like one of the, one of the guys, and if you would take them at that range. Uh, I'll be quick with this one. If I had to pick, it comes down to who I took in the first two rounds for one or the first round, at least. Right. Uh, If I need maybe a little more speed and I have to double check if even Ozuna ran at all this year, but usually he gets you a a few steals or Brady's not going to get you any. So that's one thing I've talked about many times is trying to make sure you kind of accumulate steals unless you go get a Trey Turner or something. You can take a Cruz or an Abreu to be a little different if you need to. But for me, these are – it's a little too rich for my blood at this point of the draft. Um, I like both these guys a lot. I think this is a recency bias set of picks right here for you. Like right. Abreu was a ninth, 10th, 11th round pick last year. Ozuna was even later because he wasn't signed yet. Um, you, now you're picking them in round, four, in round three. I love these guys, but I, I won't be like, I'll take Rafael Devers a few picks later all day long. Starling Marte, I'd rather take than Ozuna just because of the potential 2020 upside. So, yeah, I'll, I'll end up passing. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I'd pass on both of them where they're going right now, too, but I'd go Abreu over Ozuna. I think Abreu has a much solider profile. Um, I, there's also knowing that he's going to be with the White Sox next year in that lineup, which I think is going to be phenomenal. Um, but here, here's a good example of recency bias, right? Or like um, small sample size impacting our valuations. So what if I told you that Marcelo Zuna had a higher strikeout this year, higher strikeout rate this year than last year, his contact rate dropped by 4% this year. He, his O swing increased by 2.5% this year. His hard hit rate dropped by 2% this year, right? But... He had a 391 Babbitt and last year he had a 257 Babbitt, right? Right. His home run for a fly ball rate was the highest of his career at 26.5%, right? Even though his infield fly ball rate was also the highest it's been um, in his entire career, right? So I think in a lot of ways that you can look at, um, there are fundamentally, and I'm not, I haven't looked at StatCast, right? So maybe the StatCast numbers tell it, tell a different story, right? But you're still like, he's not going to hit 391, right? If his strikeout rate increases, the likelihood that his Babbitt, you know, is going to be that different, you know, he's probably going to fall around his career average unless there's a big change. Now he did have a dramatic change in his ground ball rate. But the question is, if for that, for his whole career, he's at a higher ground ball rate and all of a sudden his ground ball rate drops by 6% or whatever it was, is his ground ball rate likely to stay at 36% next year? Or is it much more likely to regress back towards what his career average is? And I would say the latter, right? And so you're going to lose some home runs and some powers and that power in that direction. Now, obviously he's also a different player because he's in the middle of a Braves lineup that is absolutely incredible. So you have to factor that into it as well. I I think he only signed a one-year deal, right? With Atlanta. I mean, it makes sense for him to come back, but like, but I just think that those are like, those are examples where you need to, to dive into the player and figure out, is this his actual value? And, I, and I, I don't see how that's his actual value. I mean, I think he was underrated this year, which the projections would have told you. I mean, they pointed to him being a massively underrated, um, right. just like Eddie Rosario is. I mean, him and Eddie Rosario are fairly comparable players, I think. Um, and, and so I just think that, you know, we're, we, we're, we're drafting him now at his peak value and he's going to disappoint people next year. Right. 
Yeah, I agree with that. He he was um, just looking at the stat cost uh, percentile ranks. He was, you know, Asuna was studly across uh, plenty of things. Um, but, you know, I, I I definitely wouldn't take him that high. I, I think there's definitely recency bias. And, you know, who knows if he does stay in Atlanta because Donaldson was a one year and then he wanted the multi and they said pass. And, you know, maybe this guy's ready for a multi as well and they might pass that on that too, who like, you know, and he goes to a less favorable, you know, spot. This is right now. It's a very good lineup. One of the best, I think, in the league to be around. So, totally. yeah. yeah. Well, and I think one thing that's important to remember about StackCast data is that it regresses too, right? Yes. 100%. It's not like, right. it's not, it's not like some, you know, thing up on a hill that right. like never changes, right? It changes dramatically. And so, yeah, his barrel rate is, is great. I don't know. Is it the career high? He probably had a career yes, high barrel is. rate, right? Yes, he had a career yeah. high barrel rate because he had a career low ground ball rate, right? right? He's getting the ball in the air more, which you need to do to get barrels. And so when that ground ball rate regresses, his barrel rate is going to regress along with it, right? And so again, he's better than he was in 2019 that he showed, but he's not as good as he is in 2020. And he's probably yes. like what? Like a, an ADP of 70 or 80, something that's like fine. that? Like yeah, true value. Yeah. Right, right. Well, that's the thing is like he's still a good ball player. Like that's right. the thing is yes, he's just not, he's not he's not around three ball player. Like you look at his XBA three fifteen average, okay, that's realistic. He's been like a two eighty to three hundred hitter most of his career. That's fine. Uh, his hard hit rate went through the roof, but he's always like he's fifty five percent this year. But he's been a forty five to forty nine percent guy. So like he's gonna drop off. Yes. The biggest thing is he elevated the ball, which we've been every year when you look at a stat catch page, like just elevate the darn baseball. And can he do it again? That's the big question. If he does it again, he'll have a great year, but probably not like this. This was just ridiculous what he put together. And John Metzelar of Pitcher List, I forget the name of the stat, and I feel really bad about this because it's an awesome stat, but his overall quality of contact, that's something that like, people should look at this year, and it obviously helped with him elevating the ball more. But like you add up flare burners, solid, and barrels. All yep. of those were better than last year. You add all three of those together, there's a reason he hit for the average he hit for. Like it is, it's a proven thing. Go read the article by Metzelar. It's phenomenal. I had a great time talking to him about it and it really kind of opened my eyes up to things because, you know, most of the time when you do a quick glance at stat cast, you'll peek at a lot of things, but you look at barrel, you look at hard hit rate, some X stats and you kind of go, okay, do I want to dig in more? You start looking at some of these other things and you start to maybe find some outliers here and there. And it kind of shows you that the dude can rake. It's just a matter of to what level. And I'm with you. I just wanted, I just wanted to add that because I wanted to make sure people that know we were poo-pooing him. It's just, he's not a third round pick. 100%. No, I, I would definitely agree. And his, you know, just watching him, his swing doesn't look so repeatable. You know, you just wonder oh, how, you know, not just wonder how he's just so successful. It's just, he doesn't look like he's going to strike the ball consistently, and he does. <laughs> you know, so. Well, it's, you know. it's the new era we're talking about. These guys are being, like, just swinging more, being more aggressive, going, you know what? I don't care anymore if I strike out 30% of the time. Or back in the day, it was embarrassing. Like guys would like hang their head going to the dugout. Now it's like, you know what? I tried to hit a home run. I'll do it next time. Like, I don't care. Right. Right. And it's, and, and it's fine. That's the thing. It's, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the next group of guys uh, right around 40 ADP is Stalin Marte or Kyle Tucker. I'll let you go first, Toby. Uh, Starling Marte. I would draft Starling Marte over uh, Tucker. Um, one thing too to note about, um, not, I'm, I have a really hard time moving on, but it's just like, you know, you also have to remember that these guys only hit in one division, right? And right. The, the East had the worst pitching um, overall, right? And so he missed out on all of that central pitching, all of that West pitching, 
And so that's another reason maybe why he had a career year, right? 100%. Um, so, I mean, I think it's closer. The Tucker, the Tucker Marte combo is a really interesting one, but I just think that Marte is all around a very, very good baseball player. He's going to hit you for batting average. He's going to hit at the top of the lineup. And yes, the Marlins lineup is not the greatest, but we know that they're fairly aggressive on the base pass. So he's going to continue to steal bases. The upside on the stolen bases is much higher. The power difference is not that big of a difference, actually. I mean, the way that Marte has been hitting the ball the last couple of years, you know, yeah, you may be talking like five home runs, but I'd much rather take the five to 10 stolen base higher upside that I think uh, Marte has than I would, um, you know, Tucker. But again, like I haven't dived, dove in um, that much. I do really like Kyle Tucker a lot. I think a lot of the concerns that people have, the strikeout rate, you know, things like that, again, small sample size, but, um, you know, he, he was better than league average on his contact rates, both in the zone right. and overall. And I think that's yeah. huge for a guy who has power and speed. Um, again, got to see how that Astros lineup shakes out with free agency. I mean, Springer could be gone. He's probably going to be gone. Brantley could be gone as well. Um, not that they don't have other good bats in that lineup, but it could be a, a, a diminished lineup. So I think those are all just questions that I have. And I think Marte with the 30 stolen base upside in a full season, um, I just think that that's, that's huge and not something that I can really kind of turn away from because I don't feel, I don't feel as much of a need around the home runs. And I think that Marte has a much better batting average um, floor than I think what we could see from Tucker. Yeah, it's Marte for me. The 2020 floor overall is something I, I love to get early. That's why I've taken him early in drafts last year. Would No problem taking him again this year. I guess the argument for Kyle Tucker is if you're playing on an overall thing, he's got the ceiling that could be crazy if it all hits. So I could see the appeal there if you want to go for the gusto, sure. But any other time, I'll take Marte all day. Yeah. But I, why, dra- why draft both of them when you could draft Randy or Rosarena at pick 34? Yeah, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Sorry to interrupt you, Rob. Yeah, I mean, no, he, if he, you know, he'll hit six homers in the World Series, he's going to land in the second round somewhere. For sure. <laughs> the way he's rising. I mean, I, I like the guy, but yeah, they pump the brakes a little bit, you know. But uh, I, I, looking at them, I, uh, Tucker and Marte was actually, you know, pretty impressed with Tucker, you know, uh, for a young dude. Uh, like you said, contact rate was pretty good. Small sample size, but the K rate, walk rate was all pretty impressive. Uh, took the ball to all like parts of the field, you know, um, eight stolen bases, the nine, I think nine triples or six triples. It's just, it was an impressive year. And he, he produced when guys were on. And like you said, Toby, obviously the lineup might weaken. Um, I built my teams around Marte for years now. I just love that stable profile. Um, I guess I, I, I guess the uh, the upside of Tucker. I guess I just looking at it right now quickly. It, it seems to be like maybe the um, the risk side wasn't as you know as high as we might seem to be. Which, like Bubba said, you know could be that home run high upside pick. I tend to go you know stable and safe, uh, but yeah, this one. This one was a lot closer when I actually looked at it than when I first saw it. And I said, oh, that's, mm. you know, that's Marte all day. But I was pretty impressed with Tucker. He, he seems to be legit. I think he's here to stay. And, you know, um, think that sometimes we kind of forget, like, you know, this is, this is what, you know, 
he was supposed to be, right? This is what he got hyped up to be. It's not like a flash in a pan fluke. This is the guy that, you know, everyone kind of was waiting for. So, and sometimes we, you know, I guess, you know, some type of bias is reluctant to buy in, you know, so early, but it could be the difference between, um, you know, like Bubba said, you, if you're going for that overall win and you scoop him and he does have that 35, 35 next year. And it's like, Holy shit, you know, but uh, it is a tough choice. I, you know, I probably still would lean Marte because of, you know, risk. Um, but Tucker made it close. He's making it close. Mm. And I mean, when you look at the value, I mean, where Tucker's probably going to go somewhere in the high thirties, early forties, something like that. Um, you know, it, it could be that Tucker is actually the more valuable has more value where he's going versus Marte. Right. Um, you know, good point. Um, and, yeah. and I, I wouldn't mind, I mean, maybe it sounds crazy right now. I'll have to rethink this, but I wouldn't mind starting off a team with, uh, Tucker as my first pick, you know, off offense, not like win the first round, but if I go pocket aces, <laughs> After pocket aces yeah. yeah. If I, if I'm like drafting that the back half or the middle of the first round and I start off, like, let's say I go like Bieber and then I get like Luis Castillo or something like that. And then you can get Kyle Tucker in that third round or in the fourth round, depending where his ADP lands. Like that's a pretty solid way I think to start a team because like you mentioned, the, the plate discipline points toward maybe a little bit of a higher floor than we thought in terms of batting average. Um, and he's got 374 plate appearances at this point in his career, which isn't a lot, but 13 home runs, 14 stolen bases. I mean, that's 25, 25 stuff. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting. And he'll, he'll likely hit, you know, I think he's been hitting fifth and sixth for the most of this year. And I think you're likely going to see him hitting third or fourth next year. And that's yeah. quite a few plate appearances over the course of the season. Right. Yeah, that's a good point too. Gaining extra abs through his bump in the um in the lineup. Uh, Trent Grisham or uh, George Springer? They're both at around ADP fifty eight. Um, Grisham going as early as forty eight um, in some drafts. Uh, obviously, this is going to depend on where Springer lands and if he leads off on a different team. But um, let's just assume, I guess, he stays with Houston. What do you? What, where would you rank those guys? I'll take Grisham over Springer. I know some people go the opposite there, but I like Trent Grisham quite a bit. The power-speed combos. He could be a poor man, Starling Marte. The average won't be there as, as much for Marte, but another 2020 guy. Um, maybe not the highest ceiling when it comes to power and speed as Marte, but you're getting them you know, a couple rounds later, hopefully. It's still a little tough, but with Springer, it's just he doesn't run anymore. He really doesn't, and that's a big bugaboo for me. So we, we need to find out where he lands. Will he lead off? I think he's more of a move down the order guy here pretty soon if he's not going to run anymore. So I'll take Grisham in this one. Yeah, I'll also take Grisham. I just think the speed is a huge differentiator. I mean, give me 10 more stolen bases, you know, almost 20 more stolen bases than the 10, 10 additional home runs that you're likely going to get. Um, you know, I do think that there's a little bit of a floor there with the batting average for um, Grisham, I mean, the OBP will be there because of the great plate discipline. So I still think that he bats first in that lineup and that's going to be a beautiful place to be for the next uh, number of years. So I would go Grisham over Springer at this point in time. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I think I kind of lean, lean that way too. He, he, uh, especially in, in front of those big guys in SD, I think he'll stay there. I think he'll move up and stay there and maybe even produce more than we, you know, think he might build next year. Um, and I think we, we already hit on Javi Baez. That was the next guy I was going to mention. But uh, he's another guy I think right now his stock is dropping and uh, just 
I'll take I'll take him. Buy low, and, uh, buy low. Yeah, buy low at you know average ADP eighty one uh, as, as low as one fourteen one fourteen. That's that's a deep. gift. Yeah, that's a yeah. That's definitely a gift. Yeah, man. Uh, okay, so we have a whole bunch of listener questions. I kind of wanted to try to get to those. Um, so we'll start off with uh, Mr. Brian P. Vogel. Um, he wanted to know, Champ, what type of balance do you like in DC's hitter pitcher? I I don't know. Was he talking to me? Am I the champ? He's the talking champ. to you. You're, You're the, the champ. champ. Rob. Champ is here. Right. The champ is you here. You are the yeah. champ. Yeah. Uh, you, Rob. Shout out to Brian and Matt Cupferly yeah. um, of, of, of um, FTN, Fade the Noise. Uh, they shared an OC team and finished fifth overall. So they're also, they weren't champs quite there. They were there for a very long time of the season, but um, kudos Brian's, to them. Brian, Brian's a good dude, a fellow Dolphins fan, so we talk a lot. <laughs> and you said and, and a Californian. I, or, no. Yeah, Bay Area. No. He's in the San Jose. He is. He is. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Okay. Okay, cool. Yep. Fifth overall in the AC. It, uh, OC, that's what you said? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, he's, pretty good. He's a very good high-stakes player. Yeah, I've heard. And he seemed pretty pretty knowledgeable. Um, so I I went with it. My split ended up being 29 hitters, 21 pitchers this year. Um, I know I was trying to stay into that 20 to 23 uh, pitcher range. Um, most of the guys in the top 10 had at least 23, sometimes 25, um, 26. Uh, so that's what I, you know, that's what I went with. I feel like I was leaning on, it depended on what, what I was able to get starting pitcher wise earlier in the draft. And I think my plan was to just roster, you know, uh, more or less pitches depending on you know who i grabbed um early in the draft and it it was a pretty it, it was a pretty crazy draft for me because i i had Jordan in the he was my third pick uh i got absolutely nothing from him um and but uh i have at home story and freeman was one and two um and i i i think i spoke to you guys earlier about this i waited to you know to go for closers. I only picked Keela as the, you know, like a front runner closer. And then I just hammered home Pagan, Presley, uh, Matt Barnes. Uh, I tried to get like the next best uh, man up that way. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you want to get me any deeper. I picked four catchers. I probably should have picked more. Suzuki uh, and Alfaro, I picked like middle range. I just was like shooting for at bat volume, I guess. Mm. There, that was my goal there with those two. Um, I wanted to grab multi eligibility guys, but not early. I didn't want to spend up on that. I, I, you know, I picked Brandon Lau and Will Myers. They were like twelfth uh, round and seventeenth. That worked round. out pretty good. Yeah, that worked out too <laughs> good. And that, you know, that was, you know, yeah, absolutely. Both of those guys was super and it wasn't like i was shooting for that multi-eligibility they just happened to have it you know um but my picks um in the did middle you get my ada did you draft my ada i didn't i went um so my i had story freeman Jordan, and then bichette bauer fam lance lane bauer. yeah bauer, bauer lane yeah it was bauer lane ryu um musgrove that was my first four pitchers that i drafted and then wow. keichel keichel in the 18th he was huge and then the big guy was uh where was it um pick corbin burns yeah pick 439 corbin burns 
30th yeah, round. Yeah, he, he, he's got it. You know, that will be a fun one. How many league-winning teams is he on, especially in oh DCs? Because, you know, in, in, in the regular ones, he might not have been drafted that often because, A, your roster's not as deep. B, we were still kind of curious. Like, some guys that were sharp were doing it. But in your DCs, your best ball formats, whatever, he was getting picked. I'd love to see how many winning teams had Corbin Burns on it. Right. I would I would say a lot of them, you know, because yeah. that was just the the profit he, you know, at he, the twenty one dollar the profit like on Roto Live, like that's at, at pick four thirty nine, that's huge. It's just three of them in a row right there. My twenty nine thirty thirty first. So there's Jubal Cabrera, Corbin Burns, and Chris Taylor, and that was the two middle. Chris Taylor, yeah, yeah, Chris Taylor was phenomenal. Like just those three picks, like seven dollars, twenty one dollars, fourteen dollars in value, mm-hmm. um, and that was my two like the multi eligibility guys and Profar, which was like round 28. I wanted, mm. I wanted to wait. And he was, you know, sneaky good because he just played all the time. He never got platooned. And um, so, I mean, that was my breakdown uh, for roster construction wise to the DC. And since it was the first one I did, um, I think Toby, we did a second chance one together. And in that one, I did the same split 29, 21, but that didn't work so well in that week. Yeah, I beat the I beat the champion. You beat the champ. Ooh. I beat the Ooh. champ. There's only Stop. one, <laughs> only one person who beat the champ in a DC this year. Was that the one I did really well in, or was that the one that I did mediocre in? Um, I think you were second. Um, oh, let me pull that guy up. I have him. Yeah, I I, I had a I had a a, a a a DC you know after that restarted, and I think I finished second in the league, and I finished fourth overall i think or something like that like, <laughs> what man yes Come on. that was yeah we you finished second and i was in fourth but that was um steve weimer was in that one way butler yeah. bloomfield um seth klein brian slatter's row ian khan ray murphy john fish yeah it was a, it was pretty i remember i remember when that one started i think um ryan bloomfield joined and he like put something out on twitter it was like hey i'm doing a, a dc my last draft of the year before the mains and anybody want to join me and I hopped in and then it was just like, put it out too. And it was just like everybody, you know, right. in the industry hopped into it. So yeah, it happened real quick. And it was like, you know, I was like, Oh man, that was awesome. I was like one of the first ones. And then everyone started joining. I just remember when the draft got set and I was looking at it, I was like, Holy shit. This is going <laughs> to be something else. Yeah. Was that, yeah. yeah that's, that's all. It's always fun. DCs are fun for that. Right. The 27 pitching points. That's not going to do it in the league. <laughs> I had a couple. Um, I, the hardest was injuries to pitchers. Right. I actually don't think I drafted as many pitchers as you did, and I had a couple leagues where it was literally I had no pitchers to choose from. Like every single pitcher that was on the bench was injured, you know. And you're just like, what do I do? Like, yeah, I literally cannot do anything. So, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Bubba, do you do any DC? Do you have any breakdowns that you would recommend? Yeah, or I, I don't do a ton. Of, I need to do more. I talked to Toby about it. I did some best balls right. over on fan tracks. And uh, I'd have to go back and look because those were those that ended up so well this year. Like I said, I just – I don't know what the heck happened with my injury luck this year. It was just not on my side. But uh, I did I did not go back and break those down. Gotcha. All right. So uh, let's move to our buddy Colin at Ginobili the Goat. Um, he had a bunch of questions for us, so I'll read off the first one. And he said, how do you judge changes in launch angle for projecting player regression 
and how sticky are the changes and how much do you factor in when judging good or bad performance from 2020? And I guess in reference to launch angle. In reference to launch angle, that's a very tricky question because that's mm-hmm. a whole other approach at the plate. Uh, kind of something Toby hit on earlier. There's, there's probably some very smart people that have written about it. Um, but in, in theory, like we were saying, you'll see a lot of guys make adjustments from time to time. Like you look at Daniel Murphy a few years ago and that stuck for a little bit, but then where was that gone? Um, Justin Turner, Joey Martinez, these guys that made approaches at the plate that were different. Like we don't know if these guys made approaches differently or were they Marcelo Zuna that all of a sudden started elevating the baseball. Um, that's going to be the tricky part of deciding it. Like barrels are sticky. Launch angle is not that sticky to me. Like maybe it is and I'm missing something. But that's one where I'll definitely have to look more into. Maybe it's a thing that gets my attention, but it's not going to be the NWO. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think launch angle is super sticky year to year. Um, I never look at launch angle. Um, I rarely ever do. I look at ground ball rate to figure out how frequently a guy is hitting the ball in the air. And I find that that's a pretty good pretty good substitute. Like I obviously care how frequently guys hit it at good launch angles. But um, average launch angle is not um, a metric that is super important to me. Right. Yeah. I, I I would say the same thing. It's not something that I'm relying on or looking at too much. I definitely dug, uh, dug into some some of the stuff that Alex Chamberlain put out about like the launch angle clusteredness, like the <laughs> the standard deviation of the launch angles. It, it, it caught it caught my eye, and you know he. He was saying, you know, how, you know, it, it, it's different applications for it. And, it, and it, it more like ended up measuring like the quality of the contact. But um, I was trying to use it in conjunction with like other things. And so like uh, he put out some stuff on his leaderboard and even Derek Hardy on, on EV Analytics. He had some, some cool um, launch angle stuff. Like the one actual, uh, it's the launch angles, uh, the sweet spot. It's the average launch angle of a batter's, batted balls that are within the top one third of his hardest struck ball. So out of his hard, you know, the third mm. of his hardest struck balls, like where were they? And um, one thing that stood out to me was like flat, you know, Vlad Guerrero so, Jr. cannot hit the ball hard no, in the air. No, a third, a third, Thank you. a third of his hardest hit balls were at a launch angle of 1.7. I'm, tr- I'm being, so, Pushing just, this right. agenda for a long time. Right. Vlad Jr. is not going to be that great of a major league player. Oh, yeah, man. I think, I mean, that number, I mean, just, yeah. So he's pounding the ball into the ground on all his hardest shots. So yeah. Tell me the exit velocity on line drives and fly ball. Yes. That's line all I want to know. Right. I love that stat. Um, right. Even the distance on like uh, fly what? balls. And, yeah, just that stuff, 100%. Like Chamberlain's leaderboard's got that good thing about uh, I think it's exit velocity on um, outfield fly balls even so you can take the infield out of it. He's got a couple different stats that just focus on outfield fly balls, which I really love because that really takes what do we care about? Guys that get extra base hits, guys that drive in runs. So I don't care if they hit the ball in the. I don't care if they're you know anti Joey Votto's. Like we need guys that put it in the outfield, and I love kind of narrowing it down that way. Mm. Yeah. And, and Alex has some great research along with Al Melkier. They write every mm-hmm, year yes. for the last two years on fan graphs or rotographs about the stickiness from year to year of different metrics and yep. average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is number one. Max exit velocity is number two. Barrels per batted ball event is number three. And they're right. all pretty sticky. Um, 
from year to year. And so that's kind of what I use as a guide to what I want to pay attention to when doing like draft prep and stuff like that. Those are the numbers that interest me and launch launch angle isn't, isn't, isn't on there. I don't even know if they investigated that, but again, launch angle is, is helpful, but again, yeah, you have to combine it with, with, with exit velocity as well. That's what barrels tells us. That's what the metrics that you're talking about tell us as well. And I do think that standard, there's something to that standard deviation that Alex worked on and he, he showed that in his work. Yeah. It was pretty cool because like he was saying, like it, it's a good, um, it's like a good descriptive indicator of BABIP and a good predictive one. It could also be, you know, a similar thing he was saying in his article, like, could it, you know, is it the same? And it's, it's really deep. It's like three parts to it. Um, but I was just, you know, I like looking at the pockets of, uh, the launch angles, like the, like how, how often they're hitting in a certain percentage of the launch angle, you know, it's, and again, like you said, you can look at ground ball rate and, and definitely see that, you know, instantly. Um, it was just, you know, when I was just looking at some of the players, I can he, can he mentioned like, um, Alex and like said that the ideal launch angle was like 19 degrees because you can go, um, six degrees above and beyond it and still land in like favorable, um, like ex roba um, numbers and stuff like that. And, you know, it was just like looking at the guys around that area and you just, you know, Tim Anderson, Judge, Teoscar, Batcher, Rendon, um, Ursella, Seeger, Yellick, uh, you know, so it's some stuff like, you know, when you, like I said, I'm trying to like see what I can use together to see, you know, um, and it may just be overanalyzing, but it's just, you know, Sometimes when I see something new, I'm like, oh, work. what can this do for me? You know, and what can I extract from it? And uh, like it's Alex, obviously, anything he puts out, you know, I'm, I'm definitely digesting it because it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's probably a smart thing to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, um, all right. So we'll get to uh, Colin's next question. What are some early things that you are looking for in spring training for guys with high strikeout rates, Hiora, uh, Lubob, et cetera, to give you confidence of a positive change? I just want to see if they made changes last season that affected this, if they made changes this off season. I'm really like spring training's fun because it gives us our first taste of baseball, but it's never going to be more important than this year. Like to really see what these guys do uh, and hopefully a more normal environment. I know there's still going to probably be issues come spring. I'm not clueless to all that, but I think it'll be more of a, they're going to ramp up. They're going to play a season. They're going to do their thing. And we might have at least reporters around close by because we're starting to see in the playoffs you can kind of get people around and make it work. Um, I think little bits of stuff like that's going to go a long, long ways. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only things I really care about in spring training are pitcher velocity, pitcher fastball velocity readings, uh, any new pitches that pitchers are throwing. And um, uh, they don't do ground ball rate in spring training. They do air outs versus ground outs. And so I'm always looking to see if there are any dramatic changes of batters who traditionally hit a lot of ground balls who are hitting the ball in the air more. Those are the only things that I care about. I don't think there's anything sticky about that I've seen in the research around strikeout rate uh, during spring training. The, just the, the, pitcher, the pitcher dynamics there, you just have no idea who they're facing. They could be facing, you know, single A pitcher one day and major leaguer the next day. And so there's very little I think you can gather um, but a pitching belt, pitcher velocity is the one that I really pay super close attention to during the spring training. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's, um, those are the things that you could definitely take uh, stuff out of concrete uh, stuff out of. And 
really, you know, with those two guys, it's funny because when I was reading those two players, kind of like what we were talking about before, like accepting like um, a certain profile that may be, you know, like what kind of value is the swing and miss and like, like Ayora for as many times he strung, struck out, he was still on a, like, I think a 30 home run, 10 stolen base pace, right? And that's, that's pretty valuable. He's 23. I know he, he was, you know, for as bad as he did, like, you know, where those, those, that 30 and 10 is what, you know, puts the, uh, you know, puts up the stat total for us in Roto. So it's, you know, obviously you might take a hit with the average, but at that age and that profile, like I'm still, I think like you said, Tori, before, I'm really interested in that profile that like, are we undervaluing it, you know, uh, or overvaluing it, you know, it's just, it, it's pretty interesting, those two plays specifically, you know, but I don't think I'll see anything from spring training that will, you know, show me, you know, tell me, you know, to like them more or less. Definitely agree with that. All right, Colin still has some more. He said, any advice for spotting a breakout? I've been looked over the Savant site, but haven't found anything that jumps out. And then Alex Rinaldi <laughs> like to jump in and tell us exactly what you were going to talk about right now, Toby. <laughs> oh, well, uh, it's it's complicated, I think, to get into, right. um, you know, spotting a breakout. I did a presentation for PitchCon, like an hour-long presentation on it, if you want to go check that out. I think it's on their YouTube and stuff like that. Um, but generally, like, I'm just looking for changes in skills. So... I always look at like two week leaderboards just again to see if there are guys who are demonstrating skills, skill changes that maybe aren't showing up in the results yet. I think that's the most likely breakout guy to find is a guy who maybe, you know, is doing a ton better, you know, this year at something and, but his stats are the same. And so people haven't maybe noticed yet in the results that he's doing better, but they are. And so I always look at leaderboards for like barrels, expected WOBA, um, contact rate, uh, O swing, hard hit rate, ground ball rate, wanting it to be very low. Just always looking at those and trying to identify guys that are kind of most of the guys there, 90% of the guys will be guys that you expect to see there, but then there's always those guys that you don't. And then you just hope that you get lucky. I mean, for a lot of that, that's what this is, right? Is like, you're just hitting the positive side of variance with a guy. Um, but you try to put yourself in a position where you're making educated guesses on who those guys, um, could be. So that's a short, a short answer to the question. Gotcha. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Toby nailed it. I really have nothing else to add to that yeah. at all. That's, yeah, that's just right. the way to go about it. And, um, you know, to mention like you, you were looking at the two weeks, um, snapshot to players and, uh, it's funny when I started actually looking at the rolling graphs, I just realized how like, you know, just the visual learning, I think is pretty cool because mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's just how you digest information and for, you know, some people can look at that and actually extract way more than reading an article or reading a whole bunch of stats. And I think that's the real true value to that. It's uh, it's the way you can see it in a different lens um, than reading and some people get it like that. So that may be something also that he could look at, you know, to obviously, like you said, try to spot something because it, it pops out at you, right? Absolutely, yeah, that's what I do. So I use the leaderboard as a filter. Right. And then I take the guys from there and then I do deep dives into them using like those types of tools, yeah. yeah. He finds the ebbs and flows and goes from there. And he takes the flows. The <laughs> I, go, I, go with the, I go with the flow. Go with the flow, uh, right. And he wanted to know, um, uh, how do you decide the right balance for roster construction during a draft? Um, for example, mid-round, do you fill your first catcher spot with a mature guy 
uh, grabbing me. Yeah, a whole bunch of questions. Is it just a gut feel or is your roster as you go on along? We're going to do lightning round with these. Lightning ones round, yeah. Well, I think what he's asking for, unless this is a different question, he had a few. He's kind of asking, like, I know Toby and I have talked about, Toby actually has, like, he'll tweet it out usually before every season. Here's, like, your 85th percentile of this stat and these stats. And that's kind of what you can kind of do. And if you want to use a projection system like ATC or whatever, just to give you a rough idea of kind of what your roster has and what you need to fill in, you can go that route. Um, This is one thing I want to hint on earlier is, the biggest thing, and you guys doing DCs, best balls, whatever, Rinaldi mentioned it as well, know the player pool. If, if, I, if it's doing the drafts or whatever, but we've, we emphasize that when we do deep dives on positions and stuff, is know the player pool. Know when you can – you have to take a guy because, you know, you only have like four other guys left that, at that position you would be willing to take, and you can afford to wait on this position. Now, I know like Toby and I loved Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Gritchick because we like the power upside of them. They were going super late in drafts. So we knew we could go somewhere else and get a late outfielder or two with 20-plus home run upside later in the draft. That's knowing the player pool. And that lets you know, I don't have to reach for an outfielder here. I can go get, you know, a third baseman or something else and then come over here. Little things like that go a long, long ways. And however you want to go about it, if it's doing drafts, if it's just reading the baseball forecaster, if it's listening to podcasts, whatever, learn the player pool. It's the most important thing I can say. 100% right. Totally yeah, I think that's that's a huge piece is just understanding where those kind of pockets of values are, like like Bubba mentioned. I mean, for me, when I head into a draft, I, I keep track of the projections as I draft. So as I draft guys, I'm adding them up. And what I want to do, and you can you it's very, very challenging to do this, but I want essentially my I want to in every single league, I want to be at least at 80th percentile in every single category. Because in a 15 team league, that gives you um, 12 points. And that's equals 120 um, for for five by five roto, and that generally will win you the league. Um, and so that's what you want to be going for. And then because there's an overall competition in, in a lot of the NFBC leagues, you also need to be you can't you can't be too out of whack, right? Um, you need to be pretty balanced and not be really bad in one particular category, but being really good in other categories helps. So I generally want to be fairly balanced. Like you don't, it's very hard to draft from a projections perspective that 80th percentile because you need to maximize value. So I shoot for like 70th percentile or something like that. Um, And it's just really just to make sure that I'm not falling behind anywhere. Maybe I'll be a little bit better here and maybe a little bit worse there. And I understand that going in. So I do that. But then as I draft, like I'm pretty prescriptive. Like I'm like, this is, these are some of the guys I want to get in the first round. These are some of the guys I want to get in the second round. These are some of the guys that I want to get in the third round. I eliminate a lot of the player pool. I'm just not even interested in considering them. And I kind of know who I'm going to go after in those particular spots. And I think I have more conviction now, even around like if, if those guys are gone, not necessarily going after a guy who's just fallen because he's fallen, but really thinking about that. But you have to be thinking about all of these things. Like you need to be thinking about, like, how does my first pick impact my second pick, impact my third pick, impact my fourth pick? And again, it helps to have some sort of strategy laid out in advance. I know a lot of people are like, I just kind of go with the draft. And I think that's fine way to do it. But for me, it's really helpful to know that because like, if I know that I'm going to go with two starting pitchers to start off with, then I know that batting average and stolen bases are going to be critically important in the first half of my draft, because I generally can't go to get those types of profiles later on. So like Bubba mentioned, I know that I can get some of those power profiles late. And so I'm fine. I'm fine doing that. Um, and so, you know, I think you're, you, you gotta be thinking about all those things. 
So if I know like in particular, like, because he mentioned the catcher piece, like if I'm going starting pitcher, starting pitcher, JT Real Muto, mm-hmm. then I really need to address some of these pieces, right? Because JTR is a lot of things, but batting average is not necessarily like he's very good for batting average for catcher, but he's not a, a batting average. Um, like he's not J- he's not DJ LeMahieu, right? Like he's not, he's not that type of guy. So, which is why Jeff McNeil is going to be really great to own this year. Um, so, mm. Very good. Yeah, so you're a Mets yeah. fan, right, Rob? I am a Mets fan. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Jeff McNeil this year, lock it up. Bam, lock it up. Go to sleep, right? Lock it up, man. Lock Steve Cohen. <laughs> Steve Cohen's gonna sign JTR. I would love it. I want. Him. I want JTR Bauer and Springer. Just reel it, man. Well, you don't have. Just, a, you don't have. A, you don't have a, like a hardcore wish list. Just load it up. <laughs> load it up. Just go for it. Even if it's wrong. Even if it's not the right mix. Just do, do, do doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> no, my something. money. <laughs> yeah. Just do something. But um, yeah, I would definitely agree with you guys on the roster construction thing. I think Teosco was, I think a lot of people, you know, had their eye on him later on. And if you know, like, you know, later on that you're going to definitely take him, you definitely can roster up to that before you get to him. He was another guy I had on that DC team, him and Burns were just really late and super, super profitable and beautiful. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. And, you know, I, I, I like to look at my, I like, like I said, with the, um, the projection, I, I like to look at them as I'm drafting, but not, not, not so much as like determining um, what I need to add, but I think it usually um, I take a look at it and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm low in this or, you know, okay, I have too much of this. And for me, it's a quick indicator of, you know, uh, again, just keeping me honest and being alarming, like uh, like seeing something that's really low or high, and uh, okay, yeah, then I gotta adjust that accordingly. Um, I I I like to follow uh, like the uh, Mayberry method that Baseball HQ describes, and uh, Ron Chandler has his new Babs method, and it's um, just rostering skill sets and you know like we were saying before, skill sets over the projections, but um, and I just like to you know target x amount of power bats x amount of um uh speed and you know hit tool and shoot from there and just try to roster as much as i can for a minute while minimizing risk you know i think that's the biggest thing right you know looking at guys who are coming into the season injured or get injured a lot and also don't have the experience that maybe provide the consistency level that we would want you know from a guy um so yeah so that's and i feel the same way um with the thresholds, uh, yeah, no, I talked about that already. Yeah, I think uh, for that. So we're off to Dave Mendelson. He wanted to know what is the earliest pick. You take your ace pitcher with all the great five-two bats on the board. So we, what would you pick, pick your ace pick, pitcher? Pick number one. Yeah, pick number one. <laughs> I'm going with pick number one as well. Yeah, I think I, if I'm I, spread out in leagues, you know, like I would like to take a shot with at least one. If I had a one, I would, you know, I would do it if uh, if I was in a, you know, just try something there. But I wouldn't be scared to take, you know, Cole or Bieber or DeGrom there, I think. Yeah, for me, it's around six or seven. I, I still I still a bad guy first, unless it depends on the league, of course. But uh, usually, at least this year, looking at the early going, it'd be around six or seven. I haven't worn you down enough, Bubba. I will get there. Hey, you got me last year at Barf. I took uh, Cole with the fourth overall pick, so our third you overall. Did. Or something like that. Wow, that worked out well for you. Yes, it did. <laughs> and then you're welcome. welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. It's like I, I, in like recent years, I've, 
I, I, I haven't got, like, I, I haven't uh, targeted pocket aces, but I've, like, fell into it, if that makes any sense. Like, I think last year was um, um, Strasbourg and Castillo and in one of my home leagues, like, they weren't, like, it was an auction, and I got them in that, like, 20, 21 range instead of going for that 30, 35 range. And they were my one and two, and they acted, you know, they resulted in two top pitchers. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's funny how it could land like that for you. I feel like the same thing happened with me in the D.C. with Bauer and Lynn, you know, in round five and round seven. They just anchored it big time for me with the innings pitched. And his second question, David Mendelson, was um, – if Meta World Peace and Rugnet Odor got in a fight, who would win? I got Rugnet Odor. I think he's actually a real fighter. But he asked that question because I, I didn't know you're part of our test. I was on their show last week on Triple Play Fantasy, and um, I told some our test stories to them off the air because my mom worked for the Kings for 25 years. Oh, and there's a lot cool. of interesting things about Ron Artest that you obviously know about as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I knew him when he was in college. I don't know how. At St. John's? At St. John's, yeah. yeah. I have a buddy. I have a, I have a buddy who's a big St. John's fan. Oh uh, yeah. He grew up. He grew up in. Are, are you from Queens? I'm from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. My all my older brothers went there. Big St. John's guy since like '86 with Jackson and Mullen, and nice. my brother was the you know the the team manager, and he used to have pictures with like Mullen and Jackson holding me. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right. man. It's like I was deep rooted in the St. John's, and I ended up going there, of course, and. Uh, it's my my uh, sophomore year. He was in his junior year, and that's when they went to the Elite Eight and they lost to Ohio State and Scooney Penn, Michael Red. Oh man, it was so there's close. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. There's some there's some names <laughs> there's for you. Bring you back, but yeah. you know, he I was Michael mad. Red lefty. Mike, yeah, Michael Red, smooth lefty and little Scooney, like five nine, five eight. They were oh, dangerous, man. man. But uh, I had yeah, I had you know class with him. One class, he was like he went to. I think he came for two classes. I was about to say he showed up. (laughs) But you know, when he did, it was like, it it was weird. He, there was something about him that like drew everyone to him. He was like comical. Everyone loved him. He was like so loose and cool. And he was like always smiling and telling jokes. And, you know, it was funny because I, you know, I was just bugging like, yo, when are you going pro? You know, when are you going pro? And he's like, I'm ready to go right now this year. I'm like, ah, you just got to work on your free throws, you know? And he would just be like, oh, yeah, why? He goes, you, you think I'm bad at free throws? Oh, I think you're terrible at free throws, yeah. <laughs> we went down to Alumni Hall the court after the game, and we, you know, took 10 free throws. I, I went first. I did 9 out of 10. He looks at me, and he's like, you know, he's like, goes 6 out of 10. I said, you want to do it again? So he went first, another 6 out of 10. I hit, like, the first seven. I just, like, put the ball, like, down the free throw line. I said, all right, buddy. <laughs> and he's like, but, okay, he was so cool about it. The guy was just, you know, That's just funny. a laid-back dude. And then, you know, he – obviously, he was battling some stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. a, a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, he, he went off uh, at, at the palace, you know. Yes, was, the malice uh, in the palace. Yeah, that the was in the wild. Palace, you know, yeah. It, it was wild because, you know, I watched the – I watched a couple of things on that team and they mentioned how um, they felt bad for Reggie Miller because that was like his last great shot at a championship. And they felt like they had it. Like Stephen Jackson said, we had it. Like we felt we were the best team. And even though I would do that again for any one of my brothers, like we kind of ruined Reggie's like last chance. And that's what I regret about it. It was interesting, but uh, I'm going with our test just because uh, (laughs) that's my boy. (laughs) Oh man. So I think we got one last question. It's from, uh, Rich Koloski, 
and he wanted to know how aggressively do you attack prospects in the DC contest in general and you are the overall NFBC the champ so you did a lot of right this year congrats huge accomplishment what separates you from the pack so I'll ask you guys for um first do you aggressively attack prospects in a DC I usually do not uh maybe later rounds for like flyers like, but early on I want that core like kind of st- safe and sturdy that you've been talking about that's where I would focus yep yeah I'm I'm yeah I agree exactly um and it's interesting, like, I feel like a lot of times the prospects that hit, you know, that really impact the season aren't necessarily the ones that we anticipate, right? It's like, right. Um, you know, Jay Cronin, where worth or Ian Anderson, like, yeah, he was a good prospect, but nobody expected him to impact this year. Aaron Judge, right? He was kind of an afterthought, um, you know, when he had that big season. So, yeah, I go after, I, I kind of go towards the sure things earlier on and um, go after some of those rookies later on. Yeah, I didn't pick a rookie until around 36, back like Monte Harrison. And it was, even then, it was just like three or four like stabs. Uh, like my last pick was Andrew Vaughn because I was looking at it like a full season. I thought he yeah. would like maybe have a chance to come up. Um, but some interesting quick tidbits. I know we're running away. Just want to run this by you guys real quick. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Pulling some stats from the overall DC, and um, it was pretty crazy. It was that was 637 at bats away from the the leading at-bat getter, and I was ranked like 2,400th in at-bats. And it was still, yeah, it was I'll crazy. maximizing efficiency. Yeah, exactly, because I, I ran my run percentage, home run percentage, and my home run percentage, I was ranked like 110th in the league. My RBI percentage, 15th overall, even though, again, like just had 600 less at-bats than, than the top guy. It was pretty wild wow. when I noticed it, and I was like, wow, I'm like, that that's pretty fucking lucky. I, mean, I think, I mean, I don't know. Like, like you said, efficiency per, per at bat, you know, it was just like, mm-hmm. it was really, uh, I was, I was completely Go get yourself a Freddie Freeman Jersey. Oh yeah. <laughs> if I wasn't a Met, yeah, yeah. If I wasn't a Met fan, but you know what? Uh, I'm not really like one of those guys, you know, that like hate other teams. And even when I grew up watching the, the Mets. You're not like Bubba. Bubba. Yeah. <laughs> You're not like Bubba, vindictive. Roots for the Dodgers to lose. That's to say, yeah. second favorite team is whoever the whoever's playing the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why I've, I can get T-shirts of twenty-eight other teams. There you, go. <laughs> you know what? It's 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 uh, it's pretty crazy because all my favorite players like that weren't Mets growing up were probably like Braves because I watched them. Well, they're on time, TBS. So. Like we grew yeah, up watching. Them. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and 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 Chipper too, you know, Chipper and David Justice, like those David guys. Were Ju- good, Dave, but... Dave Justice was my little brother's favorite player for the right. Oh, I loved him. He had the yeah. earpiece thing that I loved too, you know, like the and he just had that, you know, that that lefty. Uh, it was sweet, man. It was a yeah. It was a yeah. It was a it was a. Sweet and that, it's so interesting how that such a was such a staple of childhood though. Like my favorite team, the White Sox, were on WGN, right? Yeah. At first, it was just the Cubs, and the Cubs were my favorite team for a little while. I loved Ryan Sandberg, Andre Dawson, mm-hmm. you know. But then, then they, now, then that they started to show in the White Sox games, right, with with the Hawk and stuff like that, you know, it was Robin Ventura was my guy, like for the longest period of time. Um, so it's fascinating the way that that worked. Except for on Bubba, Bubba just liked the local team. <laughs> and he loves Will the Thrill. I mean, you can't not oh, love yeah. Will the Thrill. Will oh, the Thrill I, is the bomb, dude. He is. I still bomb. remember that first base glove that, like, you know, the um, the one that had like no, it didn't have a webbing. It was just like totally full, yes. like kind of tan. 
just like ah, smooth over there on first that swing and him matt williams kevin mitchell Kevin uh, Reynolds, Jose Uribe. He moved, right? Yeah. Jose Uribe. Wow, that's the name. Yeah, Kurt Manwaring, <laughs> Todd Benzinger. Wow. Uh, ugliest man on earth, uh, McGee. Willie McGee. Uh, Willie McGee. Wow. Dude, Royce Clayton, D. Lou. Terry Kennedy, even the Billy but even Billy Butler. Billy, not Billy Butler, Butler. Brett Butler. Brett Butler. Brett, oh, Butler. Brett, 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 Brett Butler. Brett Butler. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His brother. His brother yeah. Brett. Yeah. No, they were they were something else. Yeah. Absolutely. That was great, man. Yeah, man. Wow. Good old times right there. Yeah. Good old baseball guys. That was fun. Like, yeah. I guess I'll just answer Richard's second part of the question. I guess what separated me this year was getting that late round profit you know um the, the bread in the forecast of last year like uh picks 30 through 50 um the bust or disaster rate is like over 70 percent um from those picks so i guess just getting you know um burns after 30 Tyoska after pick 25 or, um you know like those are the things i guess that separate you even when you do miss on a you know Jordan Alvarez not playing at all in round three. And it was such a not me pick too. Like I normally don't just like try to get the utility types that early, but uh, I think at that point I had done like three or four drafts and I, I hadn't had him like ever. And it's like one of those like biases, if that is one, it's like, it's like I need this guy cause I don't have him anywhere, you know? <laughs> and I think just falling into those saves, you know, that was the biggest thing. I think just falling into the saves when I didn't chase them early and um I usually go with that strategy and it killed me, I think, because like you said, Toby, like you like to do is, you know, wait for the Melanson Kinsler types. And um, I, I wanted to go in that approach in the main and I didn't. And I went like high, I think as Chapman, maybe around five or six. And it was just like three or four days after he was announced positive, but he was like squatting 800 pounds. And I'm like, this guy's going to be fine. And he wasn't, you know, that was a, a waste of a pick. And, um, I went in trying to set the min on Castellanos and Lynn. I was eyeing them in the whole, you know, uh, main prior to, and, uh, I was ready to do a land at like pick 85 and pick 80, you know, pick 82. There he goes. Love the ball. And I was like, fuck. And it was just a bad pivot. It was not trusting my rankings and the ADP messed with my brain. I went with Kluber over my Ada and it just fucked me, you know, and I didn't back the Grom up. That was the thing. I didn't back the Grom up with enough pitching afterwards and I kind of wasted him. And mm-hmm. that was it. That's a quick, uh, that's a quick derail right there for a lost main event. <laughs> I picked, I picked Lynn at 57. After, was it after, My was it the draft. week of? Yeah, it was the last draft. Yeah. yeah. I think I drafted the Friday before the last, mm. you know, uh, I guess it was still like five, uh, five days of draft after that, right? And at that point, yeah, he was like, as I, I think he was in the 90s. And I remember telling my brother was helping me out with, the, you know, just monitoring guys. And I was like, oh, I'm getting him. And Castellano wouldn't have won me the league. But still, when when you think you're definitely going to set them in on someone and it doesn't happen, you know, it, it, your brain just, you know, get, got a little fried. I had backups, but it was just, you know. I think yeah. it just fucks with you a little bit too much that more than I wanted it to happen. And uh, that's it. It was just a, a bad draft after that and bad in-season management. <laughs> but I learned a ton. And I think and I think I said it in my tweet, like I, I learned more from 
that league than winning the DC, I think, because I saw like it was ultimate, you know, you have to really be on top of everything. And uh, I took that 100%. You know, I learned a lot about Fabin and valuing guys for at bats, you know, for volume. That's, I never really focused on that so much. And it's big. It was a big experience. And it was, it was cool. I love it. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't trade it. Cool. I'm glad I got you it. You can enter, yeah. enter a couple next year with that. With that Bam. Trip. Bam. Do you guys go any, you guys go to Vegas or New York or anywhere like that? Toby does. Toby. I was supposed to go for the first uh, first time this year, but yeah. we'll see. I it, they're gonna they're gonna do it. Um, I gotta decide whether I'm gonna do that or not. So. I know, I know, me too. Because like, I really wanted to do first pitch Arizona this year, and uh, if they do it in March, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do both trips. You know, it's gonna have to pick one maybe. And I think yeah. kind of like the spring training, like you know, I'm drawn. To, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's far from now, but I'm going to have to make a decision soon. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for tonight, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time out and uh, and coming out with me. It was uh, it was awesome. It was everything I wanted it to be. Really yeah, appreciate no problem it. at all, man. Had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. a lot, Rob. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's cool. This, this industry is awesome. You know, yeah. everyone's really laid back, helpful. Like I said, you guys always were quick to answer questions. And um, it, it, it was really cool. It was uh it's really cool uh, being able to talk to you guys like this and, you know, seeing each other. It's, it's, it's cool. It, it, it goes so seamlessly, you know, when, yep. when you don't really like know each other, but you do know each other and then you find that, ah, oh, wow, this is easy. You know, this is uh, all like baseball. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Brings everyone together. Cool, man. So yep. I'll give you guys a chance real quick to run through like where you, you know, have your uh, content. So my listeners can uh, check you guys out if they haven't already. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at BDentric, just a Bench with Bubba podcast, Bubba and a Bat Flip, that fun stuff. I uh, write, write some content at Rotoballer. Um, just check out my Twitter. I tweet out everything I do. So you'll see it. I'll tweet all that out, and I'll tweet out uh, updates on the Braves beating the Dodgers. <laughs> for sure. Your go-to for any of your latest breaking news on the Braves beating the Dodgers. Uh, uh, at uh, Crazy on uh, Twitter, that's the best place to reach me. I do not create quite as much content as Bubba, um, who just creates an amazing amount. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, podcast is Batflip Crazy Fantasy Baseball, but it's pretty much just uh, Bubba and the Batflip at this point. So yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, 100%. Again, thank you for coming on. Again, I can't stress it enough how much um, you guys really set the bar for me and I know a bunch of other people. Really cool to look up to you guys and see you know, how podcast and I took a ton of notes, you know, like, you know, what to do and not to do. And, you know, it's really cool. I, I just want to let you guys know that doesn't go underappreciated at all. You know, it's really awesome. awesome. Well, that's Appreciate super nice of you to say. Yeah. Yeah, man. hundred percent. Mad love. All right, guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. Enjoy your night out there and uh, we'll do it again soon, man. Sounds good. All right. All right, Sounds good. Take it yep. easy. All righty guys. And that will conclude this episode of the poor hitter podcast. Thank you for joining us and listening to this wonderful episode. Um, we're going to continue forth with some content coming up. Um, some prominent, some other prominent members of the fantasy baseball analyst world. I'm excited to keep this going and keep providing uh, some really cool chat and experiences with some well-known people and smart individuals who really know how to play this fantasy game. Um, that we enjoy playing so much and yeah so with that being said thanks for coming in 
uh, continue to be kind to each other and love each other. Um, it's the best way we can make a a real uh, you know stamp on this world. Uh, people remember that. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much. Paul Hitter is out. See you next time.